Good evening. Thank you for waiting patiently. And I'd like to call to order this special meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. And the first order of business is roll call. The city clerk can please call the roll. Uh, Councilmember Kesarwani is currently absent. Councilmember Taplin. Here. Bartlett, currently absent. Harrison. Here. On. Present. Councilmember Wengraff. Present. Humbert. Here. And Mayor Aragin. Okay, present. Quorum City Council is present. Councilor Bartlett um, is present. Councilor Bartlett is present. Thank you. Uh, before we move to our special meeting agenda, I'd like to report out the action the City Council took this uh, afternoon in closed session. The City Council met in closed session on January 23, 2024, pursuant to Government Code Section 54956.9D2 and provided direction to outside counsel and approved a settlement by compromise and release as to the workers' compensation matter, ADJ number ADJ 16352062. With respect to the other items, there is no reportable action. Thank you. Um, so since this is a special meeting of the city council to take up one item, item one, the reimagining public safety status report, we will not be taking any public comment on non-agenda matters, as is our practice and as the rules prescribe. So if you are speaking to um, an item, speaking today, you, you need to address item one. We will not be taking any comments on items not on the agenda. So with that, we'll proceed to item one, the uh, status report on the reimagining public safety initiative. And Madam City Manager, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and good evening, members of the City Council and valued members of our community. Thank you for your presence today at a presentation and discussion. Today, representatives from the city of Berkeley are here to provide an update on the latest developments in the city's ongoing work towards reimagining public safety. This slide outlines, and we're gonna move on to the next slide, I believe. Okay. This slide outlines the agenda for the two presentations tonight. The first presentation will offer a high level update on the city's reimagining public safety efforts. It encompasses an overview of the framework, the background information, and will introduce city leadership and the team that's responsible for its implementation. Additionally, there will be a review of the guiding principles and the tenets that are central to the city's phased approach in this endeavor. The focus will then shift to a more detailed examination of key initiatives, including an update on the progress made to date, along with a discussion on consideration and possible next steps. Due to the detailed nature of these presentations, there will be a pause between each presentation to accommodate comments from comments and feedback from the city council. The agenda then transitions to a more comprehensive update on the gun violence prevention and intervention program. This will be highlight. This is where we'll be highlighting current trends, detailing proposed strategies to enhance safety in Berkeley, and then to conclude, I'll be providing some final remarks before the team closes out the presentation. The next few slides present the team guiding the implementation of the city's key public safety initiative. It's important to highlight that this represents just a segment of the broader coalition contributing to the city's progress. The Reimagining Public Safety Task Force, the National Institute of Criminal Justice Reform, various field experts, steering committees, boards, commissions, and both current and former council members and staff have all played significant roles Additionally, the community members who have engaged with the city's process, they've been instrumental in shaping the direction of reimagining public safety. 
We also wanted to take this opportunity to acknowledge some of the dedicated staff who've been instrumental in the reimagining public safety process. It's a pleasure to introduce the new member of the team, Rex Brown, the new DEI officer, Carrie Arredondo, the new reimagining coordinator, and Emil Durrett, a new member of the city attorney's office, each of whom will play a vital, a pivotal role in guiding and supporting the city's efforts toward achieving reimagining. While some of these team members will be presenting this evening, it is essential to recognize that they are part of a larger collective of professionals and experts across various city departments. Their individual and collective contributions are significant to the realization of the shared objectives in this critical initiative. Each one contributes significantly to the realization of the city's shared objectives in this vital initiative, and we truly are one city, one team. Ultimately, today, staff are requesting that the City Council review and discuss the status report on the Reimagining Public Safety Initiative efforts, as well as provide comments on the Gun Violence Prevention Intervention Program model, and that's a reform to inform our next steps. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to the team who will be reporting out on our progress for this work. Thank you. Thank you, Madam City Manager, and good evening, Mr. Mayor, esteemed members of the City Council, respected colleagues, and valued members of the community. My name is Kariana Arredondo, and I'm also known as Carrie, and I have the privilege of serving as the new coordinator for the Reimagining Public Safety Initiative. The Reimagining Public Safety team is here to present on progress to date and more importantly, listen attentively to the Council's feedback, ensuring that the city's reimagining efforts in this crucial initiative are thoughtful and well-informed. To initiate the discussion, I would like to provide some context and historical perspective. This background is critical in understanding the foundations and objectives of the city's endeavor towards reimagining public safety. The year 2020 marked a pivotal moment for public safety in the United States. The tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor ignited a nationwide demand for a comprehensive reevaluation of the city's approaches to ensuring safety and justice for all individuals. In June 2020, the community of Berkeley came together in a significant march, advocating for deep changes in how we approach and, most importantly, reimagine law enforcement, and the greater public safety paradigm. Responding to this call, the Berkeley City Council took decisive action through an omnibus motion, committing to reshape our public safety system through a broad and inclusive process. For the report out and discussion this evening, this presentation is structured around the core principles of reimagining public safety depicted here in this slide. These principles are reimagine, improve, and reinvest each serving as a fundamental pillar guiding the city's approach. Reimagine refers to redesigning public safety from a traditional police-centered model to one that meets the diverse needs of our community. Improve is about enhancing the city of Berkeley's public safety system to better serve residents and communities, especially those who have suffered the most under the current system. Lastly, reinvest means increasing equitable investment in the Berkeley community, particularly those that have been historically marginalized. Together, these principles form the bedrock of the city's strategy for a safer, more inclusive Berkeley. 
In the city's mission to reimagine public safety with purpose, we've established a theory of change you can see presented in this slide here. The approach begins with foundational resources and inputs, cultivating strong partnerships, leveraging expert advisory services, pioneering thought leadership, responsibly managing fiscal resources, while also engaging in strategic grant making and emphasizing training and education. These inputs empower the city team leading this work to engage in a wide array of targeted activities. Through active community engagement and consultation with field experts, the city is advancing in designing and developing a new public safety paradigm. This includes policy and infrastructure development, specialized recruitment and training, and the rollout of comprehensive public safety programs that include mental health crisis response and violence intervention, along with introducing technological and operational innovations in public safety and encompassing infrastructure developments in, in initiatives in diversity, equity, and inclusion. These varied activities are designed to yield specific impactful outputs. Along rolling out and ramping up the specialized care unit, staff are working to implement a tailored gun violence prevention and intervention program in Berkeley, focusing on reducing the use of force and alternative responses. Additionally, the city is investing in local community organizations like Berkeley Youth Alternatives, McGee Avenue Baptist Church, and Berkeley High to center violence reduction and mental health wellness. Simultaneously, the city is striving to improve staff readiness, upgrade our technology, and develop strategic organizational structures like BerkDOT and the Office of Equity. The following outcomes are vital to the overarching mission to strengthen community police relations, enhance public safety metrics, and provide accessible and equitable support services. The city of Berkeley is committed to empowering the community by building robust community empowerment and safety infrastructure. Ultimately, the vision for Berkeley is to become a model city characterized by its resilience, safety, and strong community bonds. The City of Berkeley strategy to transform public safety encompasses a methodical three-phase approach. This structured framework introduced by the Mayor and City Council serves to direct the staff's implementation and strategy effectively. Phase one spanning from 2020 to 2022 was dedicated, dedicated to laying the groundwork, incorporating community input and conducting comprehensive research. The current phase, phase two, which will continue until 2024, focuses on translating the plans formulated in the first phase into tangible actions. This involves ongoing analysis and the initial stages of implementation. Looking ahead to phase three, expected to extend until 2026, the emphasis will shift towards expanding these changes. The goal for this phase is to ensure that Berkeley's public safety model is not only robust and resilient, but it also accurately reflects and addresses the diverse needs of the community. This slide offers an overview of the phase one deliverables. So from 2020 to 2022, the city of Berkeley took decisive steps in phase one to reimagine a new public safety paradigm. 
through collaboration with many experts, including the National Institute for Criminal Justice Reform, Resource Development Associates, the Reimagining Public Safety Task Force, the Mayor's Fair and Impartial Policing Working Group, city staff and elected officials, as well as input from Berkeley residents through surveys, town halls, and dialogue days. This community-driven process produced key reports and recommendations outlined in this slide here that paved the way for the next phase of our efforts. In phase two, city staff are making strides by implementing the recommendations and framework developed in phase one. This overview outlined here captures the essence of our progress. Strategic hires have been completed to spearhead our efforts and department leads are actively moving forward in key initiatives. Meanwhile, additional projects are lined up and with that said, I do want to point out that for the purpose of this presentation, we will not be reporting out on items that have yet to be initiated or are pending funding at the time of the report submission. However, you can learn more about these deliverables in our status report and appendices. And with that said, in this section, we'll hear progress updates from the team and again have embedded the guiding principles of reimagine, improve, and reinvest within the structure of this report out. I'd like to now pass it over to Health, Housing, and Community Services Director, Dr. Lisa Varhus. Hi, good evening. Um, this slide introduces the deliverables assigned with our reimagining guiding principle. We'll hear more about how the City of Berkeley is actively transforming public safety to meet the diverse needs of our community more effectively. The Specialized Care Unit and the Community Service Officer Unit are prime examples designed to provide specialized responses where they are most needed. In addition, we are also pioneering change with the creation of the Berkeley Department of Transportation and the Office of Equity, which are critical to ensuring our public services are equitable and effective. This approach is not just about changing structures, but about thinking, rethinking our relationship with public safety from the ground up. In this, in this section, we'll hear from um, the, my department, the Health, Housing, and Community Services Department, the Berkeley Police Department, Public Works, and the City Manager's Office. Next slide. So this, this deliverable is the implementation of Berkeley's first independent mobile crisis response team. The specialized care unit responds to people who are experiencing a mental health and our substance use crisis without the presence of law enforcement. This is a significant change from past practice, which has been a co-response involving mental health clinicians and police, police, or sometimes just police. The SEU is designed here in phase two to eventually become a 24-7 response, that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that will be accessible through both an independent phone line and 911. The SEU aims to ensure responsive crisis intervention, promote community well-being, and enhance public safety. The SEU team does this by connecting with those in crisis through a harm reduction lens and guiding and or transporting people to post-crisis resources in a caring and compassionate way. The SEU design process, which involves significant research and community engagement, is complete. The selection of Bonita House as the provider Hiring and training of SEU staff, along with community engagement, are in progress. 
The SEU was launched in early September on a partial scale and is currently operating seven days a week from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. with ongoing recruitment for 24-7's operations continuing. In fact, I learned this afternoon that Bonita House recently hired additional overnight staff and EMTs, and we are looking forward to announcing expanded operations very soon. Since September 5th, the SCU has responded to over 250 calls for service and provided services to over 100 clients. Typical calls for service include welfare checks, community members in distress, for example, angry, sad, threatening harm, et cetera, as well as involved substance use. The city continues to work through internal protocols, policies, and procedures to make the SCU available both through the alternative number and 911. In addition, the city, in collaboration with Resource Development Associates, is in the final phases of completing a comprehensive evaluation design for the SCU, once, which, once implemented, will help us to fully understand the impact it is making and in, to in, and in, and is making and inform our improvements. And I just want to take a minute to really thank members of the SCU Steering Committee, a group of community members and city staff who have been tirelessly advising on SCU implementation for the last three years. This is an incredible group that has its eye as, is with a lot of diversity, yet with its eye on the prize. We would not have had the success if it hadn't been without for you. So I want to appreciate the community members who have participated and provided helpful feedback in our SEU community dialogues, and finally to counsel to their patients as we have strived to design the best SEU model for Berkeley. I'm going to hand it off to Chief Lewis now. Thank you so much. Good evening. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, a foundational part of the reimagining public safety process was to assess what work traditionally or currently being conducted by sworn personnel could be better or more efficiently accomplished by different job classifications. Looking at community service officers as an alternative response for some police activities, the department established an internal working group to begin implementation of this program. That working group laid out a plan to expand our CSO positions and identified that the most valuable positions to be filled first was a CSO in our Community Services Bureau. That CSO is responsible for supporting a variety of community service and engagement related programs, included problem-oriented crime prevention, community outreach, and coordinating both smaller community engagement events as well as the National Night Out Community Engagement event. In order to fully launch a CSO team, a number of steps must occur. These steps include identifying the appropriate types of calls to divert, hiring and training the CSOs, and developing the relevant policies. We have taken big steps in that direction, partnering with the consulting firm CityGate to develop a departmental staffing assessment, which will provide analysis on which positions within our department could be performed by CSOs or other professional classifications. We have been challenged to fill those limited term CSO positions as viable candidates have explicitly said to us that they are unwilling to accept temporary positions. We will, however, continue to explore running a pilot program, but uh, realistically may not be able to fully build this program out without permanent positions allocated. We are, however, making measurable progress with both our hiring and training program in the communications center and currently have seven dispatchers in our training program. 
This is a first for me in my uh, 25 year career. Several more hires are anticipated to start early 2024. And this is in great part to our recruitment and retention program, as well as focused efforts within the department for recruitment. Next slide, please. I believe Hamid, are you muted right now? One Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. In early stages of our initiative to transform public safety, Public Works Department partnered with field experts and members of our city council to take proactive steps in this work, engaging in dialogue and harnessing community insights to set the stage for Bergdart and its organizational structure with a clear goal to upgrade our approach to traffic enforcement with innovative strategies through a racial equity lens. Despite encountering challenges like staffing shortages and legislative delays, the Public Works Department is steadfast in its foundation of work for Dot. Current initiatives, including upcoming collision analysis by the Vision Zero team, are crucial steps in this process. As we continue to engage with staff and field experts to develop an implementation plan for Dot. We are committed to continuing our Vision Zero efforts to implement an evidence-based plan for the foreseeable future. I'm going to turn it over to Deputy City Manager Ann Cardwell. Thank you. Thanks, Hamid. Um, in line with Berkeley's commitment to inclusivity and equity, the City Manager's Office is pleased to update that significant progress is being made towards establishing an Office of Equity. Although not yet fully established, a crucial step has been taken with the hiring of a diversity and equity inclusion officer, Rex Brown. The office is enthusiastic about the new perspectives and initiatives they will introduce to the city, both on an internal and external level. Currently in the onboarding and planning stages, the team is looking forward to sharing further developments in the next council report out this spring. And then, as you've heard from already, we've hired an assistant to the city manager, Carrie, who will be serving as the reimagining public safety project coordinator. Carrie supports this work through a project management lens while gathering project information and updating city council and the community on staff's progress and next steps. She will also be supporting the city manager's office on spearheading the implementation of key deliverables, such as the gun violence intervention program. And next, I'll hand it off to Chief Sprague. Thanks, Anne. This slide introduces the improved section of our presentation, where we're going to outline the steps underway to enhance our public safety model. This is a preview of subsequent slides, which detail our focused assessments and training to better serve residents, especially those most affected by the current model. As part of this section, I'll be co-presenting with colleagues from HHCS, PW, and BPD. Dispatch is the nerve center of our emergency response system. Our goals under reimagining are to enhance dispatch by enabling systematic triage of emergency calls, providing pre-arrival instructions, 
to callers and to create opportunities to dispatch alternative resources like a mobile health unit or the specialized care unit. The milestones already accomplished include a competitive solicitation and selection of a vendor, Federal Engineering, and Federal has performed an assessment of the existing dispatch capabilities, which resulted in a gap analysis and a path forward to reimagine and enhance the city's dispatch system. Currently, a due diligence second contract to validate the financial analysis is in, pro is in progress with a report slated to be delivered before the spring of 2024. We initiated this due diligence contract just because of the magnitude and the scope of the changes that were proposed. Following the completion of the due diligence contract, we'll engage in discussions to determine the next steps to move this critical project forward. I'm going to hand it off to Katie Hahn. Great. Thank you, Chief Sprague, and good evening, everybody. I'm going to speak a bit about the crisis needs assessment, which will analyze 911 call data to determine which calls could be directed to the specialized care unit, as well as other crisis programs. The overall goal of this assessment is to enhance the effectiveness and optimization of crisis response in Berkeley by gaining a better understanding of the different 911 call types that could apply not only to the specialized care unit, but also other crisis programs that serve our community. In order to achieve this, the city has contracted with Resource Development Associates, or RDA, to conduct this analysis of 911 call data. RDA probably sounds familiar because it is the same organization that facilitated the design project for the specialized care unit. Because of this, RDA can approach this work with very strong familiarity of Berkeley and a variety of crisis systems. Currently, data collection and systems planning are in progress with a primary focus on analyzing computer-aided dispatch or CAD data from 2019 through 2023. We expect that this data analysis will also inform data systems planning for the specialized care unit calls to better streamline our response to serve residents. The initial findings from this analysis are expected in the coming months. And with that, I'll hand it over to Chief Lewis for the next slide. Thank you, Katie. The police department is currently engaged in an organizational workload study led by consultants from CityGate. This study, which we hope to have completed by May of 2024, will assess whether our organizational structure, resource allocation, and geographical, geographical patrol boundaries are not just adequate, but optimal for providing the highest level of service within our city. The study will include future projections and goals regarding staff and service delivery, including the city's growth in population and development may impact future services. The study will be focused on resources and classifications department-wide to include all working units within our department. Additionally, the consultant will be reviewing and determining the efficacy of the internal analytical tools we developed to make sure that we have industry-leading protocols in place to regularly optimize our resource allocation. These tools will consider current workload data to include types of calls for police service, frequency, relative priority, and response times. This analysis will support organizational restructuring as well as the implementation of the CSO pilot program and can also provide very valuable data both for our dispatch center analysis and the specialized care unit. Our goal is for the consultant to provide a report that can support and guide the next budget process and beyond. I'd now like to pass the presentation to Public Works to talk about vision zero and collision analysis.
I think we might be having some issues um, with our public works team getting on issues with Zoom. So Chief, I'm gonna go ahead and just skip forward real quick. And then we'll go back um, when Eric's back on, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Thank you, appreciate it, Chief. Of course. So in February of 2021, council referred the recommendations from the mayor's fair and impartial policing task force to the department for implementation. The recommendations fell into two major categories, which were one, implement a new evidence-based traffic enforcement model, and two, implement procedural justice reforms. The referral also called for the support of recommendations specifically related to reimagining public safety, as well, including the specialized care unit. Quarterly updates are provided to council and implementation of the FIP task force recommendation remains a priority of the Blakeland Police Department. While all of the recommendations in this FIP item have been initiated or implemented, the work towards ensuring fair and impartial policing is continuous and ongoing. To date, implementation of the recommendations has led to the amendment of departmental policies and establishment of new protocols. Some major accomplishments included a departmental foot policy focusing traffic stops on safety and preventing collisions, using evidence-based models and strong data analysis to guide our enforcement actions and our current work to strengthen and expand our early intervention system. The additional FIP training funds allocated as part of the reimagining process have allowed us to continue to move this important work forward. We have created a training focus on courses that strengthen our responses and ensure that our efforts are constitutional, humane, impartial, neighborhood and community oriented and DEI centered. We refer to this as kind training. We are also bringing active bystander for law enforcement or ABLE training to our agency. ABLE is a nationally recognized program with the aim of creating a police culture in which officers routinely intervene and accept interventions from their peers as necessary to prevent misconduct, avoid police mistakes, and promote overall officer health and wellness. ABLE guides agencies and communities on the concrete measures that must be in place to create and sustain a culture of peer intervention, leading to the benefit of the community and the department. The department was honored to re receive letters of support and partnership for this program from community-based organizations in our city, such as Dorothy Dayhouse and the Center for Food, Faith, and Justice. These efforts are ongoing and intended to enhance the fairness, impartiality, and community trust in the Berkeley Police Department. Next slide, please. We are committed to the wellness of our officers and professional staff, and we will continue to be proactive advocates for the overall well being of members of the Berkeley Police Department. This is important because when officers are provided resources to be resilient in the face of ongoing stressors, they are more likely to overcome challenges and be more effective both personally and professionally. With that in mind, our goal with this funding is to maintain and improve the health and wellness of our officers, thereby enhancing workforce effectiveness and overall levels of service for our community. To date, we've made some major strides in that area. We renewed our contract with the Public Safety Family Counseling Group who provide law enforcement specific peer support team training and crisis intervention services. We've also contracted with the Counseling Team International to provide PTSD training to learn the importance of and prevention and um, ensuring resiliency. 
A second segment provided officers information on health and mental health risks for first responders, neurobiological responses to trauma exposure, and mitigation tools to reduce the symptoms of PTSD. We are proud to continue to partner with our on-site physical health providers, O2X, as well as our contracted first responder-specific mental health clinicians. These efforts focus on reducing risk and addressing cumulative stressors of our personnel. Coming up in the next fiscal year, we expect to complete a wellness survey to assess the effectiveness of our existing wellness options. We've also just rolled out Lighthouse Health and Wellness, which is a custom mobile application for immediate health, wellness, and crisis resource for our employees. We will continue to identify programs, training, and equipment to ensure our wellness program is adaptive to our individual officers' needs. Thank you. Eric, are you on? I can fill in for Eric if he's Hi. having technical. Oh, okay, he's Apologies. back on. I am here. My computer crashed. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, this deliverable is the appointment of a dedicated Vision Zero staff person to conduct traffic collision data analysis. The goal of this deliverable is to support the Vision Zero equity-focused data-driven approach to eliminating traffic deaths and severe injuries on Berkeley streets by the year 2028. We reached this milestone in October of 2023 with the hiring of a Vision Zero program coordinator. The program coordinator will support Vision Zero programs and capital projects prioritized in the Vision Zero action plan utilizing traffic collision data analysis to move us toward our goal of zero deaths and severe injuries on our streets. And now I will hand it off to Deputy City Manager, Latanya Bellow. For that, and thank you, Chief, for the mental health wellness um, investments that are being made. That is excellent. I'd like to introduce this evening the reinvestment section of this presentation. Uh, which has been stated was an increase um, in equitable investment into vulnerable communities and for those who have been historically marginalized. In the context of reimagining public safety initiative, the city is endeavoring to allocate resources strategically focusing on areas of the greatest need and demonstrating a strong commitment to enhancing support for vulnerable populations and investing in youth. This multifaceted approach includes optimizing resources through grant assistance and programs like respite from gender violence aimed at addressing the pervasive effects of systemic issues. Additionally, community investments are being made with initiatives like the Youth Peers Mental Health Response and Violence Prevention and Youth Services. A key focus will include gun violence intervention and prevention efforts aimed at not just decreasing shootings in Berkeley, but fostering a safer, more supportive environment for all residents. And with that, I will hand it off back to Kariana Arredondo. Thank you. Thank you, Deputy City Manager Bello. So with the goal of propelling the city's mission to dynamically reimagine public safety, 
while also ensuring the sustainability of initiatives through external funding, the city has initiated a contract with California Consulting for grant support work. And we've applied to several grants outlined in the report that focused on reimagining through a climate equity lens, which also includes initiatives for community enhancement and green space maintenance, particularly in areas where such efforts have a substantial impact. And to that end, our current activities involve continued grant identification, application, and management. And these efforts are projected to continue until the conclusion of phase two. And with that, I'll hand it back over to Dr. Lisa Varhus. Thank you. Respite from gender violence focuses on individuals experiencing interpersonal intimate partner, domestic, and gender-based violence. The goal is to conduct a systems analysis of current respite from gender violence resources in our community, conduct research on nationally recognized best practices, and recommend concrete action steps to fill our local gaps. Through this process, it is our expectation that we will heighten community awareness of the issue of interpersonal, intimate partner, domestic, and gender-based violence, including respite resources available in the community, identify resource gaps, and develop a plan for filling these gaps. The milestones completed thus far include the hiring of a temporary community services specialist to support the work and initiating preliminary research to identify resources at local, state, and federal levels. In the coming months, initial findings will be presented to the community, including um, up in an upcoming meeting on the commission to the commission on the status of women. Next slide, please. In response to youth-led concerns about the lack of school resources for supporting student mental health, the city partnered with Berkeley Unified School District to establish a new wellness center at the high school. The Wellness Center, which celebrated its grand opening on December 2nd, 2023, is a healing space where youth can come to reset, recharge, and make connections. At the Wellness Center, students can speak with caring adults, participate in group conversations, receive peer and or adult support around their own health and wellness, and get referred to services both within and outside of Berkeley High School. The Wellness Center staffing includes a full-time coordinator funded with the city's $350,000 investment, two restorative justice coordinators, and a staff member dedicated to supporting the youth peer mental health team and other programmatic areas. A second Wellness Center is being planned for Berkeley Technology Academy. The first formal evaluation of the Wellness Center is slated to be initiated in July 2024, and will be reported to the Health, Housing, and Community Services Department. Next slide, please. The deliverable of violence prevention and youth services is to provide community investments to designated community-based organizations. The goal is to bolster community enrichment and youth services, contributing to the overall strategy for violence prevention in Berkeley. Milestones include disbursement of a $50,000 funding allocation to support the Voices Against Violence series by McGee Avenue Baptist Church, $125,000 to Berkeley Youth Alternatives to support its counseling program, and $35,000 to Berkeley Youth Alternatives to support their summer jam day camp. And I will hand it back to Carrie. 
Thank you, Dr. Varhus. Given that the second half of the presentation this evening will more comprehensively delve into a thorough update on our progress towards implementing a gun violence intervention and prevention program in Berkeley, this slide provides a brief overview here. The preliminary phase of this program involved rigorous research, which included analyzing gun violence data in Berkeley. Staff also looked into the successes of GBP programs in other similarly sized US cities. This research combined with active community engagement through council member Taplin's ad hoc advisory group meetings have been pivotal in guiding the development of the program and staff look forward to sharing more details on this very soon. So thank you again to the team for those informative report outs. This final section of the presentation will focus on shared considerations and challenges, followed by an outline of next steps in the phased approach to reimagine public safety. In the process of executing the projects under this robust initiative, several shared challenges and considerations have been encountered as highlighted in this slide here. For each challenge, a proactive approach is being adopted to mitigate these risks. Navigating citywide high attrition rates and retirements is a current challenge, with efforts focused on staffing up while maintaining a commitment to recruiting quality candidates. In response, the city has initiated the Employer of Choice Initiative, designed to foster a stable and dedicated workforce. To ensure full compliance with laws and adherence to regulations at all levels, active collaboration is underway with the city attorney's office and recognizing the critical nature of funding, especially in light of fluctuating budgets and grant availability, there is a focus on strategically leveraging public funds and grants. The team has partnered with experts to assist in effective grant management. And in terms of the implementation timeline, its dynamic nature is being navigated through strategic project management, which ensures staying on track and adapting as necessary. So through these concerted efforts, they're essential in maintaining forward momentum in spite of all the obstacles faced. This slide here offers an overview of the ongoing efforts in phase two. As various projects and assessments continue, staff remain dedicated to advancing the analysis and implementation of vital initiatives within this space, ensuring alignment of all actions with the goals and recommendations previously established by the city council and the community during phase one. The emphasis is on maintaining and building momentum in these efforts, supported by persistent work and active engagement. Looking ahead, staff are planning a second progress update in spring of 2024, and this forthcoming update is anticipated to play a critical role in informing the budgetary recommendations for the fiscal years 2025 to 2026. Without further ado, this slide serves as a reminder that City Council is requested to review and discuss the provided status report from the city manager with the goal of demonstrating transparency and facilitating informed council discussion towards the advancement of reimagining public safety in Berkeley. And that concludes this portion of the presentation. Staff are looking forward to comments and the team will be available for questions before we transition to the next presentation this evening. 
Thank you so very much uh, for the very comprehensive uh, presentation update. I'm going to suggest that we go to public comment at this time and then bring it back to the city council for questions and discussion. So um, I want to just reiterate that this is a special city council meeting to, to just take up um, one item, the reimagining public safety status report. Um, so we welcome any comments on that item, but anything that's not related to that agenda item uh, will not be able to entertain your comments today. Um, and just want to summarize, um, ask anyone who wants to, who, who would like to speak, who's present in the boardroom to please line up on this side of the room. I'd like to ask anyone who's on Zoom that would like to speak on item one to please raise your hand at this time uh, to indicate if you would like to speak. Um, and I see we have, um, oh, one second, Ms. Pritchard, we're going to go to Zoom after. Okay. Somebody activated Andrea Pritchett. I'm not supposed to, because we're going to take in-person speakers first. And I, I don't think I'm a co-host. So we're going to take um, in-person in speakers first. I believe we have more than 10 speakers. But, you know, given that this is the only agenda, and we'll give people two minutes. Mm -hmm. You can yield your time for up to four minutes per speaker. And once again, it's on item one. If you veer off topic and you're not addressing the reimagining public safety report, we're going to turn off your mic and we're going to go to the next speaker. So, Mr. Littman. I promise if I mention the word ceasefire, I'm referring to Berkeley ceasefire. <laughs> and I think I have maybe half a minute from Moni Law. So, um, yeah, I want to say thank you to, to uh, Carrie Arredondo and to Michelle Vergara for their work on the reimagining public safety update and particularly the gun violence prevention program. The importance of reimagining public safety in Berkeley cannot be overemphasized. I've been involved in these efforts for many years through the old Coalition for a Safe Berkeley, the Police Review Commission, the Peace and Justice Commission, the Human Welfare and Community Action Commission, the Campaign for the PAB in 2020, and Racism and Criminal Justice Reform, RCJR. I have to convey a sense of great disappointment with the pace of these efforts and the outcomes to date. We are now at almost four years since the murder of George Floyd and the genesis of reimagining. Let's look with clear eyes about what has and has not been accomplished. Racial disparities in police stops continue. This was the impetus for fair and impartial policing back in 2015 when the stats were first published and African-American had a 6.5 times higher chance of being stopped by the BPD as a white person. And eight years later, it is still... 6.5 to 1. The early intervention system to identify problem officers with respect to racial disparities, essentially nothing has been done. Burke Dodd to move non-criminal interactions away from the police next to nothing, with the exception of the crossing guards and moving to another department. Elimination of pretextual stops uh, and a focus on stops for safety, no real change because the second and third of the three prongs governing stops are not based on safety considerations and continue the pattern of giving a great deal of discretion to the officer. And in fact, the stats there show that nothing much has changed. The Police Accountability Board, which we all worked so hard to create uh, in 2020, has been undermined, maligned, underutilized, even sued by the very officers it is supposed to oversee. Notably, city management has refused to supply many of the police records they are supposed to provide to the board. 
without legitimate reason. This brings us to the gun violence prevention program. We, uh, speaking for us, many people, we appreciate that the work is moving forward to create the community partnerships that will be needed. The concern is that it has taken the city four long, often violent years to get to this point. Perhaps the best news in the world of reimagining is the SCU. We're so happy it was launched. We need more information about how it's going. We look forward to those reports, the lessons learned, and the challenges. Other updates are positive, such as violence interruption, uh, the uh, attention to mental health, et cetera. Uh, but overall, far too little attention and urgency has been put on this absolutely critical initiative, reimagining. We have to do better, and I hope the new office on reimagining can lead the way to full implementation as quickly as possible. We are talking about people's lives. At this point in phase two of reimagining, we were supposed to be deep into implementation. Let's get busy with saving lives. Um, I just want to point out there's one error in, in, the, in the document, in the phases of reimagining. Uh, the, first, the, the first of the phases was never supposed to be reimagining. It was reduce. And so if we have gone away from that, and we're not necessarily talking about reduce this minute, but that, that has to be the goal. Um, and we all agree to that. And if we're saying no, uh, then I think we're rejecting the element of, of input from the community that we're all so proud of. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Edward Opton. Uh, I was a member of the Reimagining Public Safety Commission. I was uh, delegated to that commission by the uh, by the Mental Health Commission, uh, where I've been a member for several years. Uh, I, but uh, tonight I speak uh, as an individual and not as a delegate of either of those two groups. Uh, I think the, uh, the city staff is to be commended for the uh, neatness and, and logical order of its presentation, but I would caution you that it is very, very general. Uh, to actually implement the program is going to be very complicated. It's, it's dealing with tough problems that will not be easily dealt with. Uh, the members of the Reimagining Public Safety Commission, although the commission no longer exists, the members are mostly still here in Berkeley, and I'm confident that many of them would be uh, uh, available to assist the cities in, in this. And I know that the uh, Mental Health Commission would... Uh, would uh, be pleased to do so. We haven't been asked to do so. I think uh, if the uh, committee uh, were to ask the Mental Health Commission for participation in this, uh, you might be pleased with the, uh, with the uh, advice that, that we might provide and, and the analysis that we uh, could do. This could be especially important because the state uh, uh, at the initiative of our governor, is planning a revolution, a topsy-turvy uh, turnover of its mental health services, uh, now to emphasize institutionalization of schizophrenics rather than the uh, sort of local initiatives that we have had for the past many years. Uh, that's going to be a big uh, change, and it won't go smoothly, I think, uh, without a lot of thought uh, and work. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hi, my name is Ilana Auerbach, and um, I want to agree with uh, Mr. Ed Opton. Nice to see you here. Um, that um, Kariana, first, thank you to all the staff and the city manager for, for this report. Thank you. We've been waiting a long time. Appreciate all your work and efforts. Nobody's here. Everybody's on Zoom. So I'm, wherever that camera is, I'm looking into your eyes. The community has not been involved recently. So please take Mr. Opton. And there are people who dedicated countless hours to, re, to truly reimagine so that we can reduce. Thank you, Mr. Lippman, for um, reduce was the first thing. Just so everybody knows, since uh, t summer 2020, the Berkeley Police Department budget has increased by more than 10%. We're like pushing 90 million. Fiscal year 25 is probably going to be in 90 millions of dollars that we're spending. Okay, SCU, so great that it's up. Um, they get like eight calls a day. How many have been lateraled from 911? So I, I know that was mentioned. Um, all of you do, who has the SCU number in their phone? Who? I do. Yay. Thank you, Jesse. Anybody else have the SCU? Yay, Emily. Yay, Mark. Thank you. Okay. Yes, Monty has it too. We need everybody in Berkeley to have this number. We need a jingle. I've, I've suggested lots of ideas. 510-948-0075 to thrive, stay alive, and get a good vibe. You know, something. Everybody needs to know. 510-948-0075. Okay. If someone doesn't insure this program, there are people in this city who don't want this program to thrive. Who, maybe. That, that's my perception. It will die if people don't know about it because eight calls a day is not going to support is not going to support after the eight million dollars that was allocated. Okay, com improve community police relations. That's what was mentioned. So I recommend that you can do that. We can, if you want to do that, start by dismissing Sergeant Kasselik, whose racist texts have been forensically verified, and 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 um. Offering condolences to Kayla Moore's family. Um, I just have a two more things I'd like to say. Um, fair and impartial policing. Uh, Mr. Lipman mentioned, in fact, if you're walking or biking while black in Berkeley, it has gotten, you are going to be pulled over more than you were a few years ago when the fair and impartial policing um, task force was formed by you, Jesse. So um, please read Berkeley Cop Watch's newest report about purging the poor and arrest quotas and the racist texts at berkeleycopwatch.org. That will tell you all about what's happening here in Berkeley. Finally, the gun violence prevention program, ceasefire, ceasefire here and free Palestine. We know that this could have been stood up by Nick Jr., who is known all around the country in three months' time. It has now been 18 months since a million dollars was allocated. So we can't have, we need to get this up now. Enough studies. We have the experts locally to do this. So let's do this. Thank you. Okay, very good to see you again. So I'm going to talk, can you hear me? Oh, the, okay, I'm just, sorry, sorry. Yeah, okay, can you hear me now better? Okay, so I handed you today something about gun violence all across the world. Why? Why? You're talking about 29 in Japan, uh, 216 in Australia, uh, 155 in Germany, 40,000 in the US. We have to ask ourselves why. It's a great question. Also, I like to compare Berkeley today to Berkeley when I came to it many years ago. 1965 to 75, say. 
Why? When you bring kids to this world, as we did everywhere else, with no education, the whole thing about education, you got education, Cal was free when I was there. Cal ain't anymore. And they give them drugs and guns, you get what you have today. Many businesses in Oakland are shutting down, including one of the uh, dining place. But my point is, we have to bring back education to this country. And education is taught at very young age. I went to school in Egypt at age two. I was sent to this country with Egyptian money. I did a lot of things with, to a PhD at Cal. And I taught at Cal. I taught at National University. The other thing I'd like to mention, that time before Reagan took office, and I was there after he took office, library at Berkeley used to open until two o'clock. So I would go study, two o'clock in the morning, I would go study and try to make it before 12 so I can have a beer at, at Laval's. It was a great time. Then I'll go back to my house in, you know, somewhere a couple of, a mile away from the campus. Two o'clock in the morning, nobody bother you. Nobody bother you at all. Also, I used to walk all the way. I had no cars that time. So I used to take a bus, the, F, the 7 bus or whatever to the East Bay Terminal in San Francisco. I did that a couple of times a month. Walk all the way from the East Bay Terminal in San Francisco to the ocean. It took seven hours. And I left early about nine o'clock, made it to the ocean about seven in the morning. Would you believe that? Nobody would bother you either. Now we can walk block. One of my good friends, Richard, who owned a business in Berkeley called Soundwell, uh, is leaving Berkeley. He's selling his house on Virginia and MLK, and he's moving to uh, Petaluma because he was mugged three times in the last few weeks. He's an older man, two of them with no gun, one was a gun, and he's horrified. He was horrified. We have to bring back education to this country. We have to say no to all of these Wall Street goons who did that to this country. We need to bring education. We need to bring safety. We need to bring every, you know, violence have to end. I feel, as I said it before, and I say it again today, I feel for the first time, I feel bad I came to this country. Life is so much safer back home in Egypt. You're talking about maybe 100, um, you know, crime a year. So we need to bring education. We need to bring prosperity, give people jobs instead of guns. Very good to see you. And our matter is still, I give you paper of that. Uh, let's go forward from here. Thank you very much. Always great to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. The clock. There we go. Good evening, Mayor and Council, and uh, Moni Law. I want to share a few thoughts. Um, after George Floyd, uh, we gathered together, and the Berkeley Community Safety Coalition was formed. And I think Councilmember Bartlett and others, um, Kate Harrison, since then, and uh, Mayor Aragain for actually appointing me to the Fair and Impartial Policing Work Group. All of that work being done, there are a few thoughts. We had a people's budget we proposed, and that needs to go back on the table and into action. Police accountability was called for. We need that more than ever, seeing People's Park and the outbreak of violence by officers. Law versus Berkeley is a federal court case where I was the named plaintiff in the end. Wasn't my intention. Um, but as a result of that case, we have office, uh, officer-worn cameras and other reforms 
We need to do more than reform. We need to reactivate the true principles of safety. Berkeley Community Safety Coalition is defining safety as safe housing, secure jobs, culturally relevant education, and mental health. That's safety. In that, we need to put more into violence prevention and use services. The amount that's given, thank you for that, but it needs to be three times that. I also commend you for what you've done at the SCU, and I'd like to thank you here personally. Good luck to you, Dr. Warhus, for inviting BCSC to the, the committee to build this SCLU, and thank you, city manager, as well. Study analysis and action. Now we need services. We have no conventional domestic, confidential domestic violence shelter. Just one quick second, sorry. I was an attorney, and I defended... Um, women and men, a couple of them, in domestic violence situations. One, her husband killed his next wife, and she thanks me to this day for her being alive. We need more in domestic violence services, and we need a confidential shelter and a shelter for parents with children, which we have nothing at this time, and we need to do more in the mental health field for youth. And thank you for opening the Wellness Center and finally figuring out where the $350,000 went. My five youth that worked on that and I thank you all to council who voted unanimously to support that. They've been very eager to see this get off the ground. Last news item, Rotary Club is funding the printing of the guide. We've been looking for the funding, nobody was offering it. And finally at the Berkeley Breakfast Club, a fellow member came up to me and said, I think I have some money for you to print that guide. So it will be in the new wellness center post haste. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, hello everyone. So first I want to thank you the uh, city council for this amazing initiative and work that you're doing. Me and my wife, we have two little girls, six and 12. Safety gun violence, that's the super important issue number one for us. We've lived for 10 months and we left after 10 months living in San Francisco. We moved to here, we're living here for four years. We want to stay in, in Berkeley. Now I want you also to tell two more things that I actually really liked about this, about what I've seen today, based on what I know very well. I work in tech. I'm working for a self-driving tech company. The best tech company the bear is probably NVIDIA. Their rule number one is failure is not a problem. You, you try many approaches. You fail. You move resources to something that works. What I've seen today, I've seen that you actually like, you do experiment with multiple approaches. It's, this approach, failure is not a problem, it's something that works amazing in tech. And number two is, I want to share my personal experience. I once, I, I was born in a city of five million people. I, well, based on my accent, uh, you can guess that it was uh, in former Soviet Union. And I've lived in very turbulent time when within two, three years, the city, of five million became a crime capital. I remember when I was 15, I used to sell magazines on a subway station and cops, they would come and register me, stealing money from me. The difference between cops and mafia did not exist. Cops were wearing, cop, cops were just mafia wearing uniforms. Now there was a very, oops, 20 seconds. Uh, People, I remember that time, my parents, ourselves, we never would call cops if something happened to us. What I've seen today, people actually do call police. That is amazing signal. The more than call, that means the more trust 
there is between people, population, and the cops. And that disgusting place where I lived, nobody would call cops. That's it. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, first is the gender-based violence. Uh, the presentation said that um, it is being done to increase the community's knowledge about respite resources. Those resources are completely insufficient. It's, re it's really disappointing that the money that was allocated during the reimagining process hasn't gone towards direct services, but let's do this as best as we can to make sure that going forward, it will go to the direct services that are needed, particularly housing. Again, as I've said many times, there is no place for single women to go to in Berkeley. This is even recognized by the Berkeley Police Department, who when asked to address what the largest housing homeless services gap was in Berkeley, they stated in a, a survey to the city that uh, they had nowhere to bring women who were uh, survivors of domestic violence or sex trafficking. And yes, sex trafficking goes on in Berkeley. We heard this from the commission at the commission status of women where FBI special agent talked about the number of cases um, that he has handled in Berkeley over the last uh, three years. And it's significant. Um, as to the um, SEU, looking forward to the 24-7 services, I still have to call BPD after, after hours when I see someone who needs it. Um, there are, um, in terms of uh, domestic violence, which has already been mentioned, that's a high incidence of violence, and that's where uh, the uh, possibility of violence, and that's where the police are always going to respond alone. It would be good to work towards a, a co-response situation where there is mental health worker with the police attending those situations that are not appropriate for the SEU. Uh, the um, there are clever ways to distribute information about the SEU, for example, or, or uh, that can be done. For example, in one county, when they want to address suicide prevention, they put coasters in, in bars um, to target uh, that group of men. Um, and there are things like chips that you can hand out to people that someone will keep more than a, than a piece of paper that would promote the SEU. Uh, Crisis needs assessment. Uh, when crisis stabilization center has been brought to you as a recommendation, everyone seemed enthusiastic, but that doesn't seem to be studied as part of this. Hopefully it can be studied as part of this. The peer respite beds that are coming in the settlement agreement for that the DOJ uh, brought and Disability Rights California brought against Alameda County. How is Berkeley going to work in those peer respite beds that have been committed to in the settlement agreement with the county grant assistance? It doesn't specify what they're seeking. There are many crisis grants available. I've I've seen them through like DOJ websites. Look at the DOJ website where crisis intervention training, crisis stabilization, gender violence. There are all sorts of grants that are available. And I'm wondering how we are going to be able as the community to give input to those seeking grants. Um, the last thing I want to say is that uh, crisis, um, the uh, CIT International, which is Crisis Intervention Training International, 
Jeff Shannon, when he was the officer here, the CIT coordinator, he attended all of those conferences. I've attended seven of those annual conferences. We've had no one from Berkeley Police Department has attended since then. These are extremely uh, valuable conferences. They do include officer resilience workshops. And I will close. And they do include targeted populations, such as intervention training with persons with autism, dementia, nonverbal persons. Thank you. They should be pursued. Hi, thank you. Uh, quick disclaimer, I am a city staff member, but I'm only speaking on behalf of myself. I'm not speaking on behalf of my union, just on um, behalf of my own self. Um, I'm really pleased to hear about the other types of response, um, the mental health crisis. I'm very, very happy to hear about the expanded hours. I have had to utilize that, but the limited hours have been a real barrier. Um, and as I said, I'm not speaking about my as a city worker particularly, but I will share that I work with um, pregnant people, people with families with young kids who are experiencing houselessness. And I definitely want to echo the previous speakers that the need for uh, safe shelter for moms and kids, dads and kids as well, families, um, very critical. Um, I, uh, I also am thinking about, I, I'm happy about the alternate responses. I am thinking about the responses where people are calling and the police are sent out. I would, would like to share a couple of stories. Uh, my husband is a mixed brown guy two other black guys that are friends of ours, installing a car radio on our street. Police came and harassed them, Berkeley police. Turned out uh, okay that time. Not so lucky the next time when and one of those same friends, black guy from Kenya, good friend, was locked out of his car near Cal. He was thrown on the ground. His hair was ripped out, bleeding. My husband had to go down to the Berkeley police department to get him, Tra traumatized his daughter, all of us, his friends in co-housing, we're all still very upset. So I'm concerned about when, when it's determined that the police come in cases that, let's face it, it's a Karen situation. I, I want to address something that's come up and I'm sticking, I'm trying to stick to the topic, but something that, that has come up feeling uncomfortable versus being unsafe. Our community members need to make a clear distinction when we're calling the police and when we're standing here in front of council talking about if we feel unsafe in Berkeley as Jews. I am a Jewish community member. A lot of the topics we discuss, they are uncomfortable. Genocide is uncomfortable. Apartheid is uncomfortable. Okay. The, these are uncomfortable. Okay. Coming back, yeah. uncomfortable topics comes back to people weaponizing feeling uncomfortable and channeling that into making someone else unsafe. Thank you. Calls that are not need for the police, which escalate in terrible and traumatic ways. Um, thank you. Okay. 
My name is Nadav. I'm a resident of District 6. And I'm going to be reading a statement on behalf of a neighbor, Jessica, from District 2. She grew... My guess. It's made for slightly shorter people, I suppose. <laughs> right. So, Jessica grew up in the Bay Area and has been a resident of District 2, Southwest Berkeley, since 2020. On October 3rd of last year, at 10.15 p.m., she was home, up late, working. She experienced a series of explosive sounds that shook her building, a triplex, in which she and her two young children, who thankfully were not there that night, live on the second floor. Without thinking, hearing those explosions, she ran to the innermost room of the home. The downstairs neighbors experienced the shooting directly, capturing the scene on indoor cameras. A man casually walked up to their front door, the top of which is just a glass window, and which sits just below both her kids' rooms. This individual fired five shots. The curtains were open. The lights were on. One neighbor was sitting right there at his computer. His fiance, by a stroke of luck, had just gotten up into the kitchen as bullets struck the couch where she had just been sitting, struck on either side of the neighbor at his computer. Thank God no one was hurt. Police arrived within minutes, and Jessica commends them for how they conducted themselves. They collected bullet casings, video footage. They conducted interviews. That, that's all that is known. They still don't know why this incident happened. They still can't explain how it happened. The neighbors whose apartment was hit left the building that night and, ha and haven't returned since. So gun safety and gun violence prevention are very important to her and to me as well, I will say, even more so since this incident in October. To the mayor and city council, she thanks you for taking this and other safety issues in Berkeley seriously and for continuing to keep the focus on these very real issues here at home. All right, that was her statement. And I would like to add my own thanks to you for working on this very serious issue. I could see from the presentation that you and the staff have been hard at work. So thank you. Okay, um, we are taking in-person speakers. So if anyone else would like to speak on the, the presentation on the Reimagining Public Safety update, please uh, line up. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Mayor and Council. My name is Nathan Mizell. I was the chair of the City's Remastering Public Safety Task Force. Um, I thank Mr. Mayor and the Council for your really unanimous action at the time for really thrusting this process forward um, at those times where you were really leaders in the process. And I believe, you know, much of the work forward, especially the work on gun violence prevention, I'm just putting us in a position to be leaders going forward and reimagining. Um, I would caution, however, um, that I can say for a fact as a chair and as someone who worked with 70 other members that one of the big struggles was how do you build this around a model that really makes safety holistic? How do you build safety around a model that doesn't center policing? Um, if our ask had simply been how to improve the police with a few new programs, we probably could have gave you a report back in a month or two, two tops, but the ask was a lot bigger. Um, and I think what we have today, and I, I want to be clear, I'm going to give full comments. I think I'm going to meet with Dr. Arredondo in a few weeks. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'll give more detailed comments then, but I just want to make sure as we push forward tonight, 
And again, I am very happy that we'll be moving forward with gun violence prevention. I think we have to look at the lessons also of our neighbors. In Oakland, um, they are now going back to doing the gun violence prevention program because they moved past it. And then they decided they wanted to do more work around hopefully solving crime and spending more money directly on officers and less on those programs that really can help. We saw the consequences there. And again, those, those are the facts, not my opinion. And I think here in our city, we have to rec recognize that as we move forward with these programs, as important as the issue like gun violence prevention is, I don't care, extremely important, the larger issue of a holistic safety model remains something we have to aim for, something in the city we have to build towards. And I, and I really do believe this is a start, but there's a lot of stuff from the National Institute of Criminal Justice Reform, a lot of stuff from the task force that just isn't there. Um, you know, when I think of a stabilization center in our city, I really want that to happen. Um, one issue I know is in the packet, and I think we have full agreement on, and I don't do anything I can, is to have a universal basic income program in the city. I will do whatever, whoever I got to advocate to, let's work together to get it done. Um, those are the holistic parts of it I think we have to center on um, as we also build around the programs we have now. Both are important, but the call of 2020, the call that came with the murder of George Floyd was ultimately for us to look at and, and really, you know, analyze what does public safety mean? What does a holistic model of safety mean? And how can we build towards that without falling into the traps of the past, which have often been, you do something to push past policing, you wait a year or two later, something changes in terms of crime or in terms of patterns, you blame it on the lack of policing. And again, it's not that anyone specifically do anything wrong. I'm going to be clear. Asking for safety in your community is a very reasonable response. I just want to say, again, those are things we've seen in history time and time again. Today's report is a good start. I'm looking forward to providing full comments and doing what I can to help. Um, but I want us to make sure we remember that calling to truly change the foundations of safety in our city. Thank you. Unless there are any other in-person speakers... We'll take comments on Zoom at this time uh, and ask the clerk staff to help me with the activating people's mics. Um, first speaker is Barba Batia Schick. Barba should be able to talk. I'm a 71-year-old res resident of Berkeley. I'm embarrassed, upset, and afraid because there are a lot of people who feel that their opinion, they want to force their opinions on other people, or they feel that they are so entitled that they can take something that's not theirs. They can hurt people, they can shoot off guns, you know, where the bullets fly, who knows? And I really um, appreciate that the mayor and the city council and all these people who spoke tonight are trying to make this a better place. And um, I also want to commend the mayor and the city council for all the uncomfortable um, circumstances that you have been in. And I really, really appreciate all your efforts. Can I just tell you one little, uh, can I rephrase one parable? Uh, from our from our community, which is 
rather than give somebody something they need, it is better to give that person the tools so that they can on their own get that which they need. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, the next speaker I see here is Andrea Pritchett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, so I'm, I've, I've listened, I've watched the reimagining process over these years with great interest. And, and I have to confess, after hearing the initial presentation, I fear that there, there's, there's sort of a drift away from the initial intention. You know, I think it's true that community relations are going to make or break this effort. And I think that, um, you know, things like replacing, you know, officers with community service officers within the police department isn't really what we meant by reimagining public safety. Um, you know, I think it's it's about separation. It's about completely relying on a on a building up the capacity of our city to respond to people in need with care and not cops. You know, um, I know that this council has been very interested in preventing gun violence. Unfortunately, most of the efforts that, that have actually passed through the council have been things like increased surveillance, increase, you know, in that have actually bolstered the police budget, have actually relied on kind of traditional policing approaches and so we've seen the police budget swell in the years since the George Floyd protest. I'm also concerned that the Police Accountability Board is not really able to function because it doesn't really have support from the city manager and the city. It needs an independent council. It needs to be independent from the police department and able to conduct credible investigations. For example, you know, people, you know, when you talk about community relations, people around the People's Park community, there's a lot of trauma there. And I'm, of course, you understand that. Do you realize that in the time just since People's Park has been invaded and covered with, you know, a border wall and razor wire, there have been, there have been five overdoses. Five people have died. And they've died because they've lost their, they've, they've overdosed. You know, and so they're scattered to the winds. Their traditional community is not able to look at look out for them and Narcan them or help them revive, you know, in the case of overdose. There's also an incredible amount of trauma. And yet there's been no increased response from the city to deal with obviously a, a community that is in shock. In Thank shock. you, Ms. Pritchett. Okay, we'll go next to Blair B., Hi, uh, Blair Beekman uh, here. Uh, thanks for this item today. Uh, boy, uh, a real hopeful congratulations, I guess, to everyone that uh, there seems to be a, a couple months ceasefire in place. What that means to me is that here in this country, our national security questions are going to be, uh, the tension is going to go down a lot uh, in our local communities. And we can talk about this item a bit more peacefully. And that's nice. That's to me, I've written yourselves letters recently, how we have a real obligation to work towards peace here at the local level. And that could do a lot at this time in the next few months into 2024. So thank you for this item. It's really appropriate how to talk about uh, community 
at this time and ways to the, the, the good practices have how we talk about reimagine and, and developing what George Whitman uh, introduced is as a, a reduction, practices of reduction. That was, uh, I suppose, in other places they say the word reform, uh, but in Berkeley it was reduction. And it, it, it's a good term, and hopefully we're at the time where that can be a good term again, and uh, we can talk about it. And uh, it is those examples. Those are the exact examples that I think can be of help to all sides in in, uh, in Israel at this time. I think they would just take heart and, and know what good governance is about, good practices are about. So keep up the good work here. You know my feelings about tech accountability. It's important to this process. Uh, it's been mentioned how uh, community participation can really be of help. Uh, how to go forward with these things, get more input and voices from just everyday people, helps, helps the community process grow. Good luck how you can do that. And tech accountability practices really helps with that. And so good luck how that can be a part of this process. Good luck to the PAB in developing them. And thanks for your time. Thank you. Okay. Um, our next speaker is Eva. Hi, it's Ava, um, and I just, I just, uh, I hope I'm going to try to make this brief. But um, I listen to a lot of meetings in Marin County. I report on them, and recently I've been coming to some of the Berkeley meetings again. And I just hope that people in Berkeley really appreciate the community they have. Um, I'm just blown away by the comments that. I got to hear tonight, uh, you know, Mr. Lipman, uh, Moni Law, Andrea Pritchett, um, Nathan Mizell. It's such a thoughtful community that you have here and your commissions and your boards are really something special. Um, I don't know how you do it because <laughs> in some other counties, we really see um, commissions and boards put together in a way that really only serves, um, you know, the direction that that the county wants to take. And I see something very different in Berkeley. And I, I think that's really a saving grace. And I, I just thought I'd mention that quickly. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Healthy Black Families. Good evening, Council, and good evening to community members in the audience and on Zoom. <clears throat> My name is Ayana Davis. I'm speaking as an individual this evening, a community member, and not as Deputy Executive Director of Healthy Black Families. I, I appreciate the report and the hard work and efforts of all the staff that participated in it. I appreciate the implementation of greatly needed services and funding for programs such as Voices Against Violence, the BYA Counseling, the Berkeley High Wellness Center, and the CSA. I trust that the ceasefire does not function as a target debrief and incarcerate program of young black and brown men in Berkeley. I have been a resident of West and South Berkeley since 1969. I have lost a son to intercommunal violence in Oakland. He was murdered because he was from South Berkeley. 
As a community member, I have participated as a steering committee member of the Berkeley Community Safety Coalition, an advisory committee member of the Voices Against Violence Program, and a member of the Councilman Terry Taplin's Community Advisory Committee for Ceasefire. As a Black woman and a mother of six sons and a daughter, I have experienced and seen repeated targeting and harassment of Black people, especially young Black men and women throughout the city by the Berkeley Police Department. It is historical as far back as I and any of my Berkeley elders can remember. I am concerned about what I have witnessed and experienced living in this highly segregated city with the disproportionate distribution and extraction of resources and wealth and a high level of displacement of Black people. I am concerned that the increased funding to the BPD will result in increased surveillance and targeting of Black people in Berkeley, and that it should have gone to community organizations doing the work in South and West Berkeley. I am concerned, especially how police stops have historically been used and continue to be used. Give me a few more seconds. I am concerned about the lack of reentry funding and services. I am concerned about the lack of discussion about providing funding for programs that eliminate the causes of crime and such, such as institutional racism, poverty, hunger, drug addiction, houselessness, and gender discrimination. I am concerned that is, there is not more funding for community services in community areas and for community members that are most vulnerable and historically experience these conditions that are causes of crime and violence. As we implement the Equitable Black Berkeley Initiative and create equity for Black Berkeley and invite the displaced Berkeley Black community to return under the right to stay and right to return, we need to implement a guaranteed universal income for our community members to reimagine the distribution of wealth and resources and stop the extraction of wealth from our communities. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, our next speaker, Mr. Clark is, I have um, Robert Davila. Robert Davila, yes. Should be allowed to unmute. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. It's Cheryl Davila, former council member, City of Berkeley. Um, yeah, so uh, that was an interesting presentation, very well um, orchestrated, um, kind of like a play or something interesting. But anyway, um, Violence Prevention Program, I'm glad to hear that you are investing funds working with the Center for Food, Faith and Justice and McGee Avenue Baptist Church. That's something that I um, helped get started back when I was in office. And I'm happy that you're funding the mental health youth programs at Berkeley High Wellness Center. And, um, but you should also, and I'm glad that you're funding Berkeley Youth Alternatives, BYA, but you should also be funding um, to prevent violence in youth works and making sure youth have jobs and also funding the um, Youth Spirit Artworks um, that also uh, works with youth. Um, and um, 
I didn't see the phone number for the SCIU in the presentation, but that's something 9480075 uh, in the 510 that you should be promoting. And yeah, a ceasefire, that was something that um, has been a big topic at the council meetings and is part of this violence prevention, uh, which is something that I tried to get started back in while I was in office. And um, we need a ceasefire in Berkeley. We need a ceasefire in Gaza. And um, it would be nice if that could be part, you know, I mean, I'd like to see more um, in that realm and also also um, a buyback program, which you know I also tried to get started and the BPD was very enthusiastic, went out and figured out the whole thing like the very next weekend after I talked to them about it when I had like six officers in my office. Um, but really, um, and I'm also feeling that there was no mention of the trauma being, and uh, you know, put on people now with the five deaths of the folks at People's Park that don't didn't have anywhere to go, and um, and now are, you know, rest in peace, rest in power, as well as all the Palestinians and people around the world, but also, no, I'm, I'm one. Okay, we're going to move to the next speaker, who's Kit Saganor. Thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I would like to underline things that have been said by numerous earlier speakers. Um, some of what you've been working on sounds really good. Some of it sounds like a lot of words without much results. It has been four years. That's not a short amount of time. I remember when this was, process was started, I did expect it to have more in the way of results uh, sooner and not with quite so much talk and planning and talk and planning. But among the talk and planning that I didn't hear tonight was I didn't hear about early intervention or early warning systems. Uh, that is a, something that will would actually permit the department to uh, do something about uh, the types of officers who end up uh, doing things like uh, threatening their neighbors uh, with their uh, service weapons when they are off duty, uh, that could do something about uh, officers who make denigrating com comments about people and joke about, well, maybe they'll just all die. Um, you really need to work on that aspect as well. Just, just having a program where you say, okay, every officer is going to sit through some training, uh, a, a couple of some presentations and that has been shown not to do a whole lot. There needs to be something much more focused. The police accountability board, uh, would like to work towards a really, uh, impactful, uh, early warning or early intervention system that would be helpful and positive. Um, I really would like to hear uh, the next time something is presented on this, that there has been some real uh, um, movement made in that area. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, um, we'll go next to Liza Letzker. 
Hi, good evening, Council. Um, this is Liza Lutzker. I was a member of the Reimagining Public Safety Task Force, and I'm currently a member of the Transportation Infrastructure Commission, though I'm speaking tonight as an individual. Um, first of all, thank you to staff um, for your work on this and for your report. Um, also, thank you for the work on the SCU. I've personally been able to call on the SCU and had nothing but a wonderful experience with them. They were incredibly professional and helpful, and it was a much needed alternative. I wish it were available 24-7. Um, I'm going to limit the remainder of my words to traffic-related items. Um, first, I just want to lift up George Lippmann's comments about the fair and impartial policing traffic stop work. Um, th this work is really incomplete. Um, BPD formed a work group long ago. It uh, was made up of 10 police officers and um, at the urging of the Reimagining Public Safety uh, Task Force, eventually one member of the Public Works Department um, that they came up with recommendations uh, that have never been revisited, that need serious um, updating and that are not really focused on safety. Um, and I urge that to be done. Um, Issue on BERC.DOT around the lack of progress. Um, the report cited staffing issues and legal challenges. Um, while that's understandable, I'd like to speak a little to both. Um, the legal challenges, um, Berkeley has to put in work. Um, not, because state legislation didn't pass just doesn't mean we can sit back. Um, there was a reference in the report to um, Berkeley not being involved in the pilot around speed safety cameras, but the cities that were involved have been working for years very proactively on this. And that is what Berkeley needs to do if we want to see Berkdot pushed forward. The legislation was put forward in the legislature this year and we have to really be on our game to do it. So lack of the legal challenges are not an issue. Around staffing challenges, um, there has been a lack of support from uh, for staff in the public works department. And that's one of the reasons why there are staffing issues. Um, this work is really important, but the Public Works Department has so much work to do on issues on work that actually really we know works to prevent traffic safety, uh, traffic, adverse traffic outcomes. They need to focus on this. I would recommend moving some of this work on BERCDOT into the city manager's office or somewhere outside of public works so that public works can actually get the work done that they need to, to ask them to fully reorganize themselves while they have huge workloads and staffing problems. That's not an excuse. That's a, it, the city manager needs to figure out a way to get this work done with the staffing that, that is present right now. Okay, we'll go next to Itamar. Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, as a Cal alum and a Berkeley resident, I just wanna thank the city council for, for doing this difficult work. Um, I haven't been following this project as uh, many of the people in the room I, I hear have, and I commend those people also um, for their civil engagement. Um, it seems like the council is taking a very a mixed approach to violence reduction, um, and I commend them for that. Uh, a resident who believes that police is unfortunately an important um, reality in this world, effective and efficient policing. Um, well, of course, we need to do the, the work of the police department. The city needs to do the work 
um, to, to check um, that, the, that that work is, is being done um, justly uh, and fairly, but I'll, and also mix it with uh, things like the special care unit, which I actually hadn't heard of. So I also um, echo the statements about spreading the word about the SCU and how to reach it um, and furthering um, other, other approaches to violence reduction uh, that include mental health um, um, and, and, and many others. Um, I do want to say that uh, everyone is aware of how difficult it appears to be to actually uh, achieve a ceasefire in the streets of Berkeley, so I commend uh, the City Council for focusing on that difficult task, even where the resources and the possibility of achieving it are at hand. It's very, it's very difficult, um, rather than to focus on the much harder task of a, of a ceasefire in Israel and Gaza, which we all hope for a true sustainable uh, peace someday. Okay. So I commend, commend the Council for that. Um, and I want to respond briefly to the, the comment about uh, the Jewish community um, and feelings versus safety. It takes some offense to that because there have been true incidents that have threatened the safety of, of Jews, both at the city council meetings and on the streets of Berkeley and the surrounding neighborhoods, um, not to mention just harassment and anti-Semitic comments and other things where uh, feelings are also important. So I just want to respond to that comment. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, um, our last raised hand is Jesse. Oh, hello, this is Jesse Sheehan. Um, thank you, I'm surprised you took the call. Having, um, I, I believe you had asked the, the Berkeley Police Department to investigate me from the bench yesterday, uh, wasting resources. Maybe speak to the agenda item. Um, public safety report certainly yeah it's like um wasting resources um you've been talking about all of this stuff for four years like the uh, previous caller said and uh, to finally see some results and um i i know because i've been the subject of some of those uh, resources being wasted um the continuous effort to use city resources to shut down a chess club uh, where my goal was to improve our community. Um, this is some of the uh, the tactics that were taken against us. And I know that um, the current people on the council really didn't have anything to do with it, but uh, nobody really spoke out until it got to be too much. And now these fines are still against the landlord who refused to call the police because he found it ridiculous and the police with the common sense enough to know that we were trying to improve our community. The same community that you have utterly destroyed right now with an iron wall okay, on the same sidewall. Agenda item. The, you have an iron wall in our neighborhood. That's not safe. The same sidewalks you accused the chess clubs of blocking you allow the, the Berkeley border wall with razor wire and apex security patrolling our sidewalks across the street from where okay. our already victimized community sits. Why wouldn't you give that kind of budget um, to the people who are making the, the streets safe? You have kids with clipboards trying to raise money to fix the streets. You had a $2 million police force protecting dump trucks. Okay, um, those are all the speakers. Sir, did you wanna speak? Should you go to the podium? And we're gonna close public comment.
we're here on the reimagining public safety report. That's what you're able to speak on. So, um, 600 years ago, the people had public safety. That's why they destroyed the native people because they protected each other. And then 60 years ago, we had public safety in one block. People protected each other. Women were safe. So the pig governor and the criminal board of super board of regents decided that safety wasn't for them because they're the biggest arms dealer with Lockheed Martin. So they destroyed this, these houses. Bob Dylan was seen there. So now what do we go 60 years later and you're still trying to take away our fight for safety. We had it on the ballot here in 1972. 35,000 people voted to take the entire police budget and give it to each neighborhood and they could decide what they wanted to do with the money so that they could be safe. And we could do that again. We don't need people controlled by the devil elopers, people being elected as devil elopers here to, to try Let's to- Let's focus on the, the topic at hand, which is this report. Yeah. So I think we should get allow the neighborhoods to have their own money and their own way to find their safety. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to thank everyone for coming today and for your comments. Um, and we're now going to bring it back to the council for discussion on the uh, reimagining public safety update. And then we're going to have a second presentation just after that bright direction on the um, gun violence prevention program. Um, so I'll go first to council member Taplin. Yes. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. And I'm unfortunate that people I wrote this for left, but it's okay. I wrote it for you as well. Um, I extend my greatest thanks to Kariana, the city manager's office, and the entire reimagining team, to my office staff, our ad, our ad hoc advisory group, and the Brooklyn Police Department Community Services Bureau, and I thank my colleagues for their collaboration and partnership. Gun violence has plagued West and South Berkeley for as long as I've been alive. There was a time not too long ago when kids like me from the waterfront couldn't even go to San Pablo Park. A Berkeley-based gun violence intervention program has been a priority for my district, dating back to the days of Councilmember Daryl Moore, who worked with the Friends of Strawberry Creek Group to address neighborhood safety concerns following the death of Dustin Bynum, who was murdered at the age of 24 by a gunman on San Pablo Avenue. Dustin was a classmate and friend when I attended Ruth Acti and King Middle School. We have lost too many of our neighbors. Seth Smith, a 19-year-old UC Berkeley student shot to death on Dwight Way, Serenity Hederson, a 19-year-old mother killed in South Berkeley, Anthony Fisher, who was gunned down at the age of 47 in my neighborhood. I support the full three-pronged approach recommended, um, but we'll get to that after this council remark period. Um, I wanted to thank Mr. Mizell, who was here earlier, um, and to let the, the public know that um, this, this mission to establish a universal basic income program in Berkeley is something that I worked on with uh, Council Han very closely last year. We did an item to um, house a UBI um, pilot and um, um, a city-driven workforce reentry program in the Office of Racial Equity. Um, which we are now also ad advancing. And I did meet with um, our new DEI director um, and um, I look forward to 
um, uh, ensuring that those two initiatives in particular um, continue to move forward. Um, for me in particular, um, I spent a lot of time talking to folks in the community, um, everyone from the security guards at BPG um, to, you know, to um, OGs um, to figure out what was going on um, during that that big spike of shootings. You know, folks were losing, um, you know, the, the heads of their households during the pandemic. Um, folks were grieving. Folks were coming out of incarceration, not knowing um, and, you know, being kept out of employment opportunities and not having anything to fall back on. So they were going back to what they knew. Um, so this idea um, of you know, alongside all the other elements, really foregrounding the need for um, workforce reentry opportunities for um, for for post-carceral folks to um, to provide pathways towards um, economic um, opportunities so they can take care of themselves and their family. And I, you know, this is something that I'm very serious about. We're all very serious about this, and. Um, and, you know, this is the beginning, but this is a very strong beginning. And I thank everyone here um, and let's keep going forward. Thank you, Councilor Taplin. Uh, yes, we are okay. creating let's lots of- Okay, let's not have parts. any interruptions from the audience. Uh, does, you, had, you heard what you said, you had the opportunity to speak. Let's not have any interruptions, please. Um, okay, we're gonna go next to uh, Councilor Harrison. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I want to first publicly welcome Ms. Um, Arredondo to the city and thank her for taking on this project, which is enormous. And I want to thank the city manager for prioritizing and scheduling this report. Um, there's no question we have made progress since 2020. The specialized care unit is operational and ready to expand. The youth mental health peer response at Berkeley Wellness Center is launched. The police department is making progress in implementing fair and impartial policing with a heavy focus on training and the task force NC national center and city auto report have completed all of their reports. However, I am still afraid we've fallen short of our and our community's ambitious goals, partly understandable because of COVID. And I, I do want to acknowledge that this happened right in the middle of COVID, and we did have two or three years that were really tough for everyone in the city. Um, but I think now, still for me, the new paradigm looks too much like the old paradigm. So the vast majority of progress to date has been made in terms of hiring staff and consultants and not community-based programs. Um, we need to be really smart in how we spend our public safety dollars. You know, the public safety accounts for like 35% of our general fund budget. And this does not necessarily mean that we should be cutting the number of officers. We need, when we have not done so, in fact, the, off, the number of officers has remained the same. And we're in fact doing well in terms of recruitment. But we need to know the best way to use officers, reduce the term left out of this, I think because people feared it meant cutting the number of officers, isn't about just financial considerations. It's about reducing the number of times that there's contact between armed officers and the public when it's not necessary in favor of other programs being on the front line. That allows the police to do the most serious job of dealing with shootings, of fighting serious crime. I just want to say clearly for me, the police end up doing a lot of things because they're mainly the people that work at night and weekends. We've given them so much to do that I think others can do. And again, this is not about necessarily cutting the number of officers, but letting them be used effectively 
effectively. I'm not going to accept the paradigm that people try to throw at us of police or no police. It's how the police are deployed that matters. And, you know, oftentimes armed police are the most expensive and not only not the right, but sometimes the exact wrong first responders. We have noisy student parties in my district and the police have to come. We have minor fender benders and we have our mental health crisis. 50% of police calls are for these types of calls. So when we say reduce, we say reduce the use of police in areas where it is not the best allocated resource. Um, and this also, if we make these changes, will also mean that our the quality of care for our most vulnerable populations will improve. So a few of the programs I'm looking forward to hearing more about, and we haven't gotten to talking about CSPAR yet, so I won't focus on that too much, but I really think we could have done more with CSPAR earlier. Um, many other communities have models, and I, I'm going to be interested in hearing what we're finding from them. Um, the alternative placement assessment, we need to focus on where people are going to go. So it's great that the SCU is there, and it's the form of contact first with the public, and this but what needs to, we need to know is once we've identified what problems people have, where are the placements for them? Where is Where are the services? Where's the domestic violence shelter? Where's the mental health services? Because I love our SCU, but they can only do so much on the street. People then have to go somewhere. So that's a big area. And a lot of that is coordination with the county. And I know that you're hard at work on that, but it's something that I feel like as electeds, we could do a lot more on is really demanding from our county, better placement options, better work with, with us. Um, and I'm hoping that, that we'll be seeing more of that. On BurkeDOT, I do agree with uh, Ms. Lutzker that there are legislative headwinds, but these shouldn't prevent us from interim efforts to move whatever functions we can. Some of the efforts being taken through a parallel process, like the fair and policing work, fair and impartial policing work, are very important. The three-prong approach, et cetera. So not pulling over people unnecessarily. But there's a lot of other stuff that, again, the police do, once again, because we haven't figured out who else should do it. So, for example, Oakland just recently announced that abandoned vehicles are going to be investigated not by armed police. They put that in place under Council Member Kalb, and I think that's a very intelligent approach. So rather than saying, well, we can't do all of Burke Dot, we can't send people after speeding cars that aren't armed because the state won't let us, let's figure out what we can do. We can do abandoned cars. We can do minor accidents. We can do so many of these things. And so while we're looking at how to make the police response better through the three-pronged approach, let's also ask the question, what do they not need to work on? Um, another piece of that for me is the fine and fees and hearing officer that I consider critical parts to figuring out alternatives to people falling in the criminal justice system. We need to have community service as opposed to fines for people that commit minor offenses. Um, I didn't see any updates here on the litigation analysis, and I'd appreciate the next report, including more on that. And then finally, the Department of Community Safety, which is, this is a very aspirational idea, but it's only with that, when we change the way that the government is structured, that we're really going to make a difference. I think um, uh, CARI is a start to that. The DEI officer is a start to that. But I'd like to see us make a lot more progress in moving forward towards that department, operating under the city manager, but having 
all those people that spoke today about the various parts, you saw how many departments there are that needs that continued coordination. And I think a department, not just a person is going to be needed to do that. So I hope we'll examine when we have resources, making that a more fulsome response. Um, and then I'm going to talk more about ceasefire. Once we hear more about it, I'm pretty frustrated by the delay. I really appreciate my colleague, um, Councilmember Chaplin, submitting the supplemental he did, but I know we're going to get to that next. Um, so in short, I would just say I'd like fewer consultants, more community programs, more serious examination, removing police from the things that are not their best job so they can concentrate on what they do best and really putting back in here the framework of reduce the number of contacts between the police and the public in cases where it's not necessary, not necessarily reduce their budget, reduce their touchstones on our community, because I think that will help all of us. Thank you. We'll go next to Vice Mayor or Councilmember Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And uh, thank you, uh, team, for such a great presentation. You know, this um, this framework here is presented um, really has the 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 skeleton or the the body of a, of a best in class um, framework for public safety. It's really uh, commendable. Uh, all the people who worked on all the the community members as well, and your your leadership. Uh, wonderful. Um, you know, a couple of big trends in here I see reflected in the audit we did of the calls, where we found that many of the calls um, were were not around um, crime, as you would think, but more around issues surrounding mental health and um, sort of that population on the street. And so I'm, I'm really pleased to say that the, the Special Security Unit is operational. Uh, the team and I spent some some time over there a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were very impressed. People really working hard. Uh, they have experience. They know what they're doing. They're committed. Uh, they're receiving. I think they said eight calls a day. I think, uh, and they're ready for more. And their their processes are being built out. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when I commit uh, to finding long term funding for that program and aligning with uh, county resources and state resources and um, and others as well, because this, this is super important. And this aligns with. Uh, request. I want to hold up the the. I forgot the gentleman here, the professorial looking um, uh, person here, Edward. Your 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 wonderful comments. Um, I do want to join myself to your comments to uh, to to call in the mental health commission uh, whenever possible. Uh, because again, yes, the the MHSA dollars are going to be shifting towards aligning with this supportive care model where we can get at the, the overwhelming number of calls in the streets is going for people who are in, in mental health care and mental health distress. Uh, and so getting them up through the SCU into some, some new, new housing scenario uh, where they can be uh, cared for and not on the streets. And then that, of course, uh, has a strong ripple effect. It allows police one to focus on crime. Um, and of course it also creates the, the baseline conditions uh, for public safety, because there's not a, an active drug customer on the street, there's um, not a just a sense of disarray that attracts uh, crime. And you know, case in point, uh, recently, um, a few months ago, a friend of the family was uh, injured pretty severely in a robbery, uh, pistol whipped by a young person in the neighboring community. And uh, the 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 person was elderly. Um, in her 70s and face was damaged, damaged cheekbones and whatnot, broken bones. Uh, and it turns out that, that they, they identified the person, they found him. And, you know, he had been living in a tent 
uh, with a schizophrenic mother. Uh, so there, there is a direct correlation. There is an overlap uh, to this, to this new um, effort to recontextualize mental health care uh, and advance towards it uh, within the law enforcement framework. Uh, and I think that's going to be very important going forward. Um, so I just want to really call that out again. Uh, the uh, and you know quickly going through the list here of these 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 wonderful measures that are moving along at their their own paces. Uh, it seems the, uh, the the CSO the the these these officers to to help with the community uh, community service officers. I'd like to urge us to make these officers permanent. Uh, I believe the chief said it was difficult to fulfill uh, on a temporary basis. So let's make them permanent because they're important. Uh, Burke Dot, I want to um, give a toast for our fallen colleague uh, who really led on Burke Dot, Roger Robinson. He's not here. Uh, but I'm sure our colleagues will step in and, and keep it going. Um, and uh, the dispatch is another one that's integral. Uh, the dispatch calls are, are super important systems or legacy systems. The, when people call in, um, it can be it's routed. Uh, we have trouble filling those positions. It's uh, fairly difficult and it becomes more complex when you have these these uh, sort of nebulous calls where. Someone's calling in uh, to the to the SCU number, which I cannot remember either. Uh, I know there was a jingle. Please let's let's make this uh, this this number memorable somehow. Uh, or can we just change it? Maybe like eight one one or something. Um, but the the uh, when you're calling in, you're describing a situation that is not quite dangerous enough, uh, but the situation's fluid. Uh, do they come? Is it you know? Is it just a paramedic model, or is there? Uh, law enforcement backup. These are confusing elements for the caller and for the dispatch to to assume. Uh, and so, going forward, as we really ramp up um, the the care courts, the specialist care unit, the the supportive mental health, behavioral health housing for people, the dispatch is going to play an all more important role. So, uh, and I was I was I was enthused about the uh, uh, the uh, computer assisted dispatch uh, model suggested by the, by the chief. I think that could be important. Uh, to aid our dispatchers uh, and the crisis needs assessment that goes along with it that builds upon the audit we did before. Um, and then again, uh, gender violence, gender-based violence. We know that there's um, trafficking going on. Uh, there was some recently um, discovered uh, in, in my district uh, alongside uh, a problematic stretch, uh, and it was uh, distressing to discover that. Uh, so we, again, we've got to protect our people um, and Hone in on on ways to protect these 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 people and get them um, surrounded with care, get them help uh, because it's a very it's a very private and traumatizing thing to be victimized by. So we, there's a special way to do this. Uh, and I want to call up my uh, my colleagues, in my district at Voices Against Violence. Really happy about that wonderful work. Um, keep it up. And uh, and again, the early intervention system. Uh, it reminds me of what the what the gentleman said from Russia. He said they don't call the police because they don't have trust in his town back in, in back in Russia. And so you know, here we have great calls, and when we do call, they come they come very quickly. Uh, and so let's keep up that trust and keep building the trust and keep perfecting our process here. Um, and that's I think that's all I want to say. I think that's um, those are those are the key points. Uh, let's go. Oh, yeah, I want to say this for the people who are frustrated by the pace of the development of the programs. Uh, I hear you. I, I, I hear you. The, the the measures that I'm most proud of that uh, that my office has generated over the last um, near decade, uh, the the best ones 
uh, the ones I'm really known for and care the most about, have all taken at least six and a half years. Uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing permanent happens quickly, I've discovered in government uh, and in nature. Uh, so the, the goal is just, just to stay on it and uh, keep advocating, keep perfecting the process until it materializes in the flesh. Uh, and trust me, uh, we're living proof that it does happen. Thank you. Councilmember Rahan. Thank you very much. And I, I want to welcome and thank in particular Cariana Arredondo and Rex Brown, who are newer uh, additions to our city team. And also thank the city manager and everyone, um, which seems like maybe everyone in the city <laughs> who's been working on this. Um, we are really we are trying to do something really uh, revolutionary here. I mean, we are trying to completely change the paradigm on how we think about public safety. And that's a big exercise. Um, I also uh, would love to see things um, further along, um, but I think we have to acknowledge one, we had the pandemic. <laughs> and I, I don't know, it feels like it's so easy for us to forget. I mean, it was kind of a dark chapter that none of us liked. But our staff, our city organization, knocked itself out and exhausted itself, taking care of this community as well as figuring out how to deliver services, all the services of a city under extremely challenging circumstances. We were still picking up everyone's garbage while they were sitting in the safety of their homes with their doors shut. We had to figure out how to send our own workers out to do a task that at the time we didn't know whether it might actually, uh, they might actually be able to contract COVID from having contact with refuse. And I think people just forget very quickly or maybe didn't always have that much insight into um, what it took for this city to run and continue providing services and do all the public health um, work that we did um, in partnership with the community to make people safe. So I, I just don't want people to act like four years, oh, it's four years. It's really two years <laughs> with an interruption. Um, and um, I, I'm actually impressed with how much we've been able to do and how quickly um, <clears throat> the city organization has picked this back up and has really tried to make, um, make it move forward. I like to think of this as, uh, it, it looks kind of complicated. There's a lot of lists of things that we're doing and they all have acronyms and um, it feels a little bit like a, a big mis mixed basket. But we're really trying to do two things. First, we're trying to look upstream. How do we avoid crises? I mean, crime is not the only crisis that we have in the city. We have health crises, mental health crises. Uh, we have natural disasters. We have human-made disasters. Um, all of that is about uh, public safety because all of those things can result in crisis. So you want to avoid crisis. I mean, you don't just say like, wow, everybody's smoking and there's a lot of lung disease. Let's just get a lot more pulmonologists. You think, okay, how do we avoid getting so much lung disease? We're still going to need some pulmonologists, but 
we look upstream. And so a whole bunch of the things that we're, we're doing here are upstream. Um, the respite from gender violence, the violence prevention and youth services, youth peers, mental health response, et cetera, et cetera. We're trying to look upstream and trying to avoid crises before they happen. The second piece that we're doing here is to diversify our response capabilities. And for me, the, the, the best analogy is a hospital. You don't walk into a hospital and get served by a heart surgeon when you have a skin knee. That's just not how it works. You come into an emergency department, which is the equivalent of our 911. And the first thing they do is they triage you. What is it? Can you just sit um, on a bench and wait for someone to get you a Band-Aid? Or do you need a couple stitches? Or do you need to be brought on an emergency basis up and have open heart surgery? And we, and we differentiate who helps you with that. We don't have the heart surgeons putting the Band-Aids on. I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's actually a little crazy that our system for response to emergencies in the community has been so undifferentiated. We have these amazing, brave, highly trained people who have special capabilities, who, who are really the heart surgeons of our response system, but we have them doing everything. We have them taking a report for a flower pot on a porch that was stolen, right? When you start to think of it with the hospital as an analogy, you realize how absurd it is um, to, to have been doing things the way we're doing them for so many decades and not to have a more holistic and comprehensive set of response capabilities. And that's really all we're doing here. We're saying, what are our police so uniquely and specially and importantly trained for? And how do we make sure they have the space and time and, and training and support to do the incredibly difficult job they do? And then how do we get all these other jobs done? How do we do the equivalent of, a, of, of the nurses who have like a huge amount of differentiation and the physician's assistants and the, you know, all those functions? That's really what we're doing. It's not... It feels complicated, it's not that complicated. Reduce the number of emergencies coming into the emergency room and then diversify our response capabilities so that we're sending the right resources to the right emergency. Um, and so I am excited uh, by the work that's being done. Um, I... Uh, I'm glad that we've actually been able to launch at least a few programs, and I look forward to increasing those. And I just want to encourage uh, the city organization to continue with this important work. And let's let's show let's show America that you can really do this. It's not threatening. It's not crazy. I think we're going to have less crises and better responses. When we, when we finish this work, and I say Godspeed to you, um, and thank you for all we've done so far. We'll go next to Councilor Humbert, and then I'm going to offer some comments after that. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I wasn't on council when a lot of this work was initiated, so I'm going to keep my comments 
somewhat limited. My deep thanks, I want to extend my deep thanks to all who worked on this effort across the community, city staff, council, and to the team who made the presentation tonight. It was a wonderful presentation. It's clear we have a lot more work to do when it comes to reimagining public safety. And I think it's very challenging in, in part because as we try to tackle the underlying issues in order to reduce crime, we still have to prevent, mitigate, and investigate the crime that is happening currently. And of course, Berkeley doesn't exist in a vacuum. So no matter how much we do locally, we're still to some degree going to be subject to what's happening around us in the Bay Area. So I really want to thank my colleagues and city staff who've been putting in a lot of work on this over the past few years. And I particularly want to thank Councilmember Taplin, whose district has borne the brunt of gun violence, as he so eloquently stated, and who has put an immense amount of work into developing this approach and into the public safety issues in general in the city. Uh, my sense is that his office, the staff, the city's consultants, and folks at the Goldman School have done great work to prepare these approaches. And I know we're going to talk about his supplemental later, but I, I just want to say in advance that I'm inclined to support alternative three, as, as, um, as he suggests, um, to focus on problem-oriented policing, deterrence, outreach, and social services, just critical. And I've really appreciated all the comments my, my fellow council members have made here tonight. I'm personally really excited about our new specialized care unit. I look forward to assessing its effectiveness in helping those experiencing mental health crises and also in relieving the inappropriate burdens on our police department. Our police are great, but there are other people better prepared and people in the SCU to deal with uh, mental health crises that don't involve violence. So thank, you know, I'm really excited about that and just can't wait to see how it works out. Um, that's all I have. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councillor Humbert. Um, Want to offer some comments um, and first uh, join my colleagues in extending a warm welcome and appreciation to uh, Kariana Arandano and thank her for all of her work in organizing this report. You know, she just came on what about six months ago. Um, and has really dived into not only understand the history of the reimagining initiative, meet with stakeholders, but really try to um, move this work, very complex work forward that touches multiple city departments. Um, this is a broad and complex project with many moving and interconnected pieces. And we knew that the um, city manager's office needed a strong point person to lead these efforts. So thank her for her work, uh, the work of the entire team. And our city manager as well. Um, I do want to sort of take a take a step back to look at the public safety issues in a broader regional context. Then I want to focus on Berkeley and then talk about where we are with um, uh, with this work and how it fits into our public safety strategy. Um, there's no doubt that the East Bay is seeing um, an increase in crime, um, uh, car thefts, retail thefts, armed robberies, other types of uh, other types of violence. Unfortunately, we haven't seen, uh, you know, a huge surge in gun violence here in Berkeley, though we've had a number of shooting incidents this year. Um, but we've certainly seen that in neighboring jurisdictions as well. And we've seen the the uptick of crime, uh, particularly during the pandemic. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's continued. And we have people in our community who um, have sadly been the victims of gun violence or had family members who are the victims of gun violence. 
And we've had residents in our community who have been victimized as well, other types of crime. We have people that don't feel safe leaving their homes. And this is unacceptable. We take this issue very seriously. I'd say public safety is our top priority um, as a city government. Um, and so this work that we're doing fits into a broad, broader strategy around public safety. Um, but Berkeley can't solve the public safety problem um, or the policing problem alone. Although I think what we're doing here provides a, a very um, forward-thinking roadmap for how we can create a new paradigm for public safety in California. Um, so, so we need to work with our neighbors, Oakland, Albany, UC Berkeley, CHP, and how we can address these crime issues comprehensively because they affect our whole region. So I want to announce to my colleagues and to the public that uh, this Friday um, it will not be a public meeting, but we intend to have public sessions in the future. I'm pulling to bringing together mayors, council members, um, and uh, law enforcement officials from cities along the Interstate 80 corridor to hopefully reform the East Bay Public Safety Corridor, an initiative that was launched in the 1990s by former Assemblyman Tom Bates. That's really going to be focused on how can we all work together, recognizing we are resource constrained, um, and how we can work together to solve these multi-jurisdictional interconnected issues, not just dealing with how we deal with the immediate public safety challenges, but how do we focus long-term on policies and programs that we know will have a long-term positive impact in creating safer, healthier neighborhoods in our East Bay community. So I wanted to put that out there for people to know and look forward to reporting back on the outcomes of that process. Um, I do see this report as a, as a positive step forward um, and really appreciate the commitment to the, um, the broader vision of reimagine, improve, and reinvest, um, and that we took a phased approach recognizing that we can't do everything at once and that we have to um, you know, start with uh, launching new programs and initiatives, assessing their effectiveness while we're looking at creating a new, more comprehensive approach to public safety, which I still do believe should be encompassed within, the, within a Department of Community Safety. Um, so, um, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge some of the challenges, the organizational constraints, um, not just staffing constraints, but, you know, having to work, you know, within the constraints of law, the constraints of resources, um, I think it's the dispatch work is absolutely critical to the future of uh, this reimagining work because I've always said that dispatch is the brain. And then from that flows how we are responding to the public safety issues in our community and, make, and triaging those calls appropriately to have the right types of resources. And recognizing that uh, we know that we have limited police. And so we, I think we recognize in 2020 that our police have been increasingly asked to solve so many of our society's challenges. Mental health workers, social workers, um, you know, homeless outreach workers, that's not what they sign up to do. They sign up to focus on community safety, to enforce our laws, and to keep neighborhoods safe. And they do amazing work, um, and they, um, with professionalism, really focusing on um, how to keep everyone safe um, in our community. Um, but, you know, given limited resources, we have to look at what are other types of um, uh, units or, or, or uh, individuals with specialized uh, expertise that can respond to different types of public safety calls. You know, we don't need to send, you know, we don't need to send a police officer to deal with noise complaints. 
Um, you know, we do not need to, um, it doesn't make sense to always send a police officer to respond to somebody who's in a behavioral health crisis, although there may be situations where police co-response is needed. So I think the overall vision that we had at the time, which is public safety is actually more than 35% now, it's over 40% of our general fund budget. Um, we have li We have limited police resources. We have growing public safety challenges. They're multifaceted. It's not just retail theft. It's also mental health related issues, people who are struggling with addiction issues and, and other broader um, you know, public health and economic challenges. And so let's focus on how we can have the right people to respond to those calls while we're having our police focus uh, the very limited resources we have on dealing with the very serious public safety issues we have in our community. So that's the overall vision that I hope we will continue to advance. Um, and um, I'll just say with respect to some of the staffing challenges, um, uh, you know, I certainly support the police department's efforts to focus on recruitment and retention. And we have supported that through providing funding for uh, bonuses um, and negotiating a new contract with our uh, Berkeley Police Association to make sure that we're co comparable with other jurisdictions. Um, and I want to acknowledge the reality with even that we need to be realistic that these challenges will continue to persist. And so we need to focus on a realistic police staffing and structure analysis. And, I'm, and I really look forward to the outcome of the study, um, really looking at our beat structure, our staffing analysis. It should reflect current reality and what our needs are, especially with this sort of broader holistic vision for public safety. Um, and, um, and I'll just say with respect to the issue around the CSOs, um, you know, I would say uh, that, um, uh, you know, one of the challenges that we've seen in other jurisdictions around the reimagining work, I'll just point to macro and Oakland, has been staffing. And so I recognize that we've had staffing challenges around, you know, staffing up our CSO program. I would argue that there's, there's a long-term need for this, given um, that we have all sorts of different things, whether it's responding to people that are double parking their cars or noise complaints or things that may not necessitate an armed police response, um, you know, that there's a long-term need for this. And perhaps when you look at making it permanent, I think the question is, how, you know, how many FTE, et cetera. But, you know, I do think we need, we do need to look at how we can make a CSO program permanent. Perhaps that may make it easier for us to attract qualified people to do that important work. Um, uh, just a few more thoughts. Um, uh, you know, I once, you know, I think a key component of the implementation of not just the CSO program, but also the SCU is really about doing an extensive evaluation of police calls and really trying to understand how which calls are appropriate to uh, to refer to those those non armed responders. Um, and so, um, I think the uh, SCU was a huge step forward. But I think we need to continue a dialogue on how to address low-level offenses without having armed police officers. So the SCU was really a first step towards looking at how we can transition towards a suite of alternative responders that can address low-level offenses. While the pilot from Nick Jr. for a CERN was imperfect, the calls for service analysis and task force recommendations clearly pointed towards a more expansive vision. And I hope that we can see a plan that further defines what calls can be safely responded to without police and what options for what type of classification could be an appropriate responder. Um, and I do think to do this, there needs to be an honest conversation between stakeholders on essential police responses and potential alternatives. And then we can incorporate these points into broader lobbying efforts for statewide policy. 
Oh, um, uh, you know, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, while this is a good starting point, we have a lot more work to do. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that we can continue to advance the work and make us competitive for, for state grants and other, other resources. Um, uh, you know, it, it has taken some time for us to staff up, but I, I'm really excited by the team we have in place to, to lead this work. Um, and I'll just say on the SCU as well, um, uh, we do need to do a broader public education campaign about the specialized care unit. Um, so people know that we've launched this new team, what the number is, you know, my conversations with Berkeley residents, I highlight this often, and people are actually really happy to hear that we've done this, but they don't know what the number is and they don't know where to go. So um, I don't know if we have budget, we have, we have flexibility in the budget to do that, or if that requires additional resources, but I do think how we can proactively do some um, public information around whether it's bus ads, whether it's, um, you know, social media, um, you know, how we can work with you to help promote that, I think is really critical because we want people to know this tool exists um, and we want to make sure that people are taking advantage of it because that's going to be really critical to assess the efficacy of this of this model as we make decisions long term. Um, just to see if there's anything else that was not covered. Um, uh, I think as well, um, we um, even, I'll just say on BerkDOT and sort of the, the, tra the trans transition towards a new transportation model, some of that's begun with the collision analysis and moving the crossing guards, but we know the, the bigger effort needs to be around continuing to lobby for a change in state legislation. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't look at what that model looks like. And I will say, in some of the conversations around Senate Bill 50, where we were actually doing lobbying in Sacramento, we got a lot of questions from legislators around what is this, you know, new Department of Community uh, 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 Transportation look like? How is it structured, et cetera, et cetera? So um, I do think we need to move that work forward so we can create a framework that could help inform legislative efforts. Um, and whether it's now or whether it's at some future point, and I hope to be in a position, if we don't get it done this year, to carry the bill in the Senate, um, to be able to do uh, the flexibility for local jurisdictions to um, do um, non-police, non-armed response to traffic calls. Uh, we, need to, we need to continue to focus on that and build the coalition, not just here in Berkeley, but statewide, um, with equity advocates, with transportation advocates to do this. There will be a push for SB 50 again. And so we need to look at how we can move that forward. And lastly, I'll just say with respect to the um, uh, addressing the issue of pretext stops, um, I would definitely like to have a, maybe a presentation on the implementation of the three-pronged strategy um, and whether we have any data that could be presented. Um, and I think it certainly warrants a conversation to look at how this is working and whether the policy can be implemented in a way that really is aligned with its original purposes, which was really focusing on those moving violations and, and trap and behavior that poses the greatest risk to safety while minimizing the need for um, police contacts to traffic stops that um, do not necessitate um, using unlimited police resources. So um, that was the goal. And the goal also is really to make sure that we can reduce racial disparities in police stops, recognizing that Sometimes these have very catastrophic consequences, um, but I want to just thank everyone, chief, the city manager, all the departments for your commitment to moving this forward. This is a heavy lift. A lot of people ask me, what are we doing in Berkeley? Where are we at with our reimagining work? And I think at the core of it, and I'll just close with this, is 
we recognize that um, public safety needs to be holistic. Um, and that, and we're seeing this now where you have kids who are stealing cars um, you, and who are robbing malls and stores. Um, and people, due to the lack of, of opportunity, jobs, income, who are you know, in, engaging in crime as a way to survive because of the broader macroeconomic challenges, the widening income gap, the, the, the lack of abundant and affordable housing, the lack of universal basic income. So well, we have to solve these bigger macro issues, but how we make our society and our state more equitable and fair, uh, because that's going to help us address some of the underlying conditions that have led to an increase in crime. Um, and that's really at the core of the broader comprehensive vision for, pu for reimagining public safety and creating a new vision for public safety, recognizing that the old way of doing things isn't working. But we do need police. We do need police. We need police, and we need this other thing too. And it all needs to work together. And those that say we don't need a police are wrong. We do need police. We need well-trained police. We have strong accountability systems. We need police from the communities that they live in. We need police that, we, that will respond. And we do a great job in Berkeley of responding to calls. If you call in Oakland, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, in Berkeley, five minutes. And that's really a testament to the good work of our police department with limited police resources. So we need police, um, but we also need to make sure that we are advancing the bigger vision, which is that you know, we need to make sure kids have jobs. We're fully funding our schools. We're focusing on, on violence prevention. We're looking at how we deal with gun violence and gang violence, we'll, we'll talk about very shortly. Um, because at the end of the day, those things are really critical to addressing the root causes of crime and making sure that our that our city and our region and our neighborhoods are safe. Um, and that's the vision that we launched in 2020. That's the vision I hope will continue in the years to come. And I'm really proud that Berkeley's doing that. So with that, unless there's any other comments, city manager, do you, any closing comments? We'll go to the uh, ceasefire or gun violence. Um, no, thank you, Mr. Mayor. We'll move on to the presentation. Okay, let's move to the next presentation. I promise I won't talk as long. <laughs> In the next presentation. Thank you. Can everyone see my screen okay? And can you hear me okay? Okay, great. So thank you again to Mr. Mayor, City Council, and the community for your thoughtful responses and feedback thus far. For this portion of the evening, staff will be presenting on efforts and research related to gun Mary, violence. If you're speaking, um, we can't hear you. Oh, no. A second. Um, oops. Let me just check really quickly. Can you hear me now? It may be on our end, Carrie, so give us just a moment. Okay. So, can, you, you, can, folk, can folks on Zoom hear me okay? We can hear, yes. Okay, wonderful. We can hear you right. too. Okay, great. Thank you so much for confirming. Give me one second. All right. And then just confirming folks can see my screen now. All good? Okay, great. So thank you again to Mr. Mayor, City Council, and the community for your thoughtful responses and feedback thus far. For this portion of the evening, staff will be presenting on efforts and research related to gun violence intervention and prevention models for Berkeley, with the expectation that City Council provide comments and feedback to inform staff's next steps. This slide presents an overview of what the team will cover in this presentation. 
first staff will provide a brief background to frame the context, timeline, and goals set for this gun violence prevention program in Berkeley. The team will share data that details trends related to shootings in Berkeley. And then the focus will shift to an overview of the proposed design and implementation strategies for the gun violence prevention program. To conclude, there will be a summary of current activities and planned future actions, followed by a question and answer session. And we'd like to start off by just reintroducing ourselves in order to clarify our positionality within the context of this work. And as stated earlier, my name is Cariana Arredondo, and I am the newest assistant to the city manager serving as the Reimagining Public Safety Project Coordinator. So in my role, I work to support and project manage initiatives related to the city of Berkeley's reimagining effort. I'll pass it over to my colleague, Arlo. Thanks, Gary. Uh, my name is Arlo Malmberg. I am the data and policy analyst for the police department, uh, where I support data-driven decision-making at every level of the department. And that includes providing data analysis and tools to inform policy and program design like we want to talk about today. I'm Michelle. Michelle, I think you're muted. You were correct, my apologies. So my name is Michelle Berger and I did my master's thesis this past spring working with the Berkeley Police Department Community Services Bureau on gun violence prevention, specifically in the city of Berkeley. I recently graduated with my Master of Public Policy from the Goldman School at UC Berkeley, and I'm now a policy analyst with the Office of the Director of Police Accountability here in Berkeley. It is important here uh, that we all acknowledge that everything in our presentation and responses to questions is not a reflection of the Office of the Director of Police Accountability or the Police Accountability Board. Carrie? Thank you, Michelle. So I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that intervention and violence interruption have consistently been prioritized by the mayor and city council staff and the Berkeley community, as we've heard today. This focus on violence prevention and intervention has been a central component of reimagining public safety since and before its inception. The impetus for this focus was provided in October of 2020 by Councilmember Bartlett, the mayor and Councilmember Keshawani. And I would like to acknowledge Councilmember Bartlett's early work in this area, including securing grant funding for intervention programs that support nonprofits in this work. The initiative has since evolved and expanded, driven by our collaborative efforts. This initiative represents a collective endeavor to significantly address the violence impacting Berkeley, aligning with the city of Berkeley's mission to foster a resilient, safe, connected, and prepared community. This slide here offers an overview of the key milestones in the journey towards gun violence prevention and intervention in Berkeley. These efforts include preliminary research and community engagement as the team works towards implementation. The Berkeley Police Department's initiative to launch a transparency hub is a significant contribution to the city's gun violence prevention strategies. Councilmember Taplin's leadership in forming ad hoc advisory groups was instrumental in shaping the framework and programming needs. Additionally, the police department's partnership with the Goldman School of Public Policy enabled the team to research various gun violence prevention models. 
This research has been vital in determining the most suitable and effective program framework for implementation in Berkeley, which staff will discuss in detail shortly. So upon incorporating feedback from the city council, there will be coordinated effort across various departments to operationalize the recommended program package in a dynamic and engaged manner. Focusing on the mission to reimagine public safety, this specific initiative is a step towards reinvesting in the community, specifically aimed at tackling shootings in Berkeley. This program is meant to be designed intentionally and collaboratively, leverage local data and successful practices from gun violence prevention or GVP programs in other mid-sized cities across the country. The city's aim is to develop and implement a model that effectively serves the needs of Berkeley residents. And with that said, I'll pass it over to my colleague Arlo, who will be presenting on data related to gun violence in Berkeley. Thanks. Yeah, I, I want to take some time to uh, walk through some of the analyses we've conducted that give us a, a high level understanding of the unique characteristics of, of gun violence in Berkeley. And the goal here is to highlight how the nature of these incidents has some bearing on the program design elements that Michelle will highlight in just a few minutes. So to get started, uh, we'll get a, a high level view of all shooting incidents in Berkeley since 2017. So here we're looking at a yearly count of shootings that occurred within BPD's jurisdiction. And uh, we see that there was a, a swift and steady increase through 2022 in which we had 53 shootings. And that number was much lower in 2023 with 32 shootings, uh, but still significantly above the 15 shootings we had in 2017. So this is a, a problem that we know we need to address and that we know we can do better on. Uh, the, data, the data also shows that Black community members are more likely than other racial groups to be involved in shooting incidents in Berkeley, either as victims or suspects. Uh, and we also know from the data that the shooting victims and suspects in Berkeley that we have been able to identify are uh, somewhat older in Berkeley than what we see in national trends. When we break down these yearly totals into shooting categories, uh, we see that the year-over-year -year increase was largely driven by shots fired incidents, uh, which are incidents where we confirm that a firearm was discharged, but where no one was hit by the, the gunfire. Uh, but we've also seen too many fatal shootings and shootings that we have labeled as non-fatal, uh, where someone was hit but not killed. And in addition to the data on this chart in 2024, so far, uh, there's been one non-fatal shooting. So these data points start to give us a basic sense of both the scale of the issue uh, that we want to address, as well as who we are concerned about when it comes to gun violence in Berkeley. Okay, this is a, a map of shooting incidents in Berkeley since 2017. Uh, we see individual shooting incidents marked in blue, green, or red points that correspond to the incident type. So blue for shots fired, green for non-fatal, and red for fatal. And underneath the layer of points, we have a heat map representation of the same data. And that gives a, an easy visual understanding of where multiple points are clustered close together. Uh, now, this map tells us two important things. Uh, first, there is a, a clear concentration of shooting events in a handful of locations. Uh, using this data, we conducted a formal point density analysis and found several clusters centered around specific geographic areas that are statistically significant points of convergence that deserve our attention. Uh, so that tells us that there might be something about the built environment or other factors specific to those locations that are enabling the incidence of gun violence that we observe there. Uh, 
Uh, and therefore, if we can somehow change or activate that space, uh, we might be able to reduce shootings. The second thing we can take away from this map is that we also see incidents spread out with no clear pattern. Uh, this means that for those incidents, we need to look beyond geography to identify causal factors that we can act on. So overall, this type of analysis gives us a, a geographic focus for our efforts, uh, but also tells us that there is a, a portion of shootings outside of those concentrated areas that might not necessarily respond to place-based interventions. And these are big clues for us when we start to think about how we might intervene and, and prevent future incidents. Now, uh, this graph really paints an interesting picture, and it's the other big clue that's going to direct our attention when we start to think about interventions. Uh, this is a representation of people connected to shooting incidents and other crime types. The blue nodes represent people, uh, the red and green nodes represent crime incidents, and the lines connecting them represent the person's relationship to the incident. Uh, in this case, we are just looking at victims, suspects, and arrested parties. So uh, if you look at a, a red node, which represents a shooting incident, and follow the lines spreading out from it, you'll see blue nodes representing everybody associated with that incident in our database. Uh, and if you follow the lines spreading out from one of those blue nodes, uh, you'll see green nodes representing every other incident that person has been associated with. So this allows us to see if two people are not directly connected through a common incident, but maybe connected by a common person that they associate with. And in this image, the more central a person or incident is within the larger network, the bigger that node appears. Uh, so we can quickly identify important people or incidents within the network. So all put together, we are looking at a social network of sorts that connects shooting incidents in Berkeley since 2017. Okay, so what does this all tell us? Uh, well, the big interconnected pieces in the middle show us that the connections that tie many shooting incidents together and tell us that there is potentially an interpersonal dimension to those incidents that stretches beyond just the immediately involved parties. And this is where we start to think about the epidemiological dimension of gun violence and the transmissibility of involvement. And what I mean is that just like a virus can spread through uh, between people that are in contact with each other, gun violence can similarly, similarly spread through these social networks. Uh, in fact, research tells us that the likelihood of victimization is two to three times greater if a person has a social tie to a victim than if they have no exposure uh, to a victim of gun violence. And what that means for us today is that we know if we can help, uh, if we have one person in this network, we are going to be potentially helping everybody that person is associated with. And by proxy, everyone that those people are associated with. This is a profound insight that the research gives us. Uh, just as violence is transmissible through a network, so is support, so is de-escalation. And we have to leverage this effect to make the impact that we're after. And, and that's what a number of the programs that uh, Michelle is going to take us through in a minute are all about. Uh, that being said, a large portion of shootings in, in Berkeley have not occurred within the context of a broader social network. Uh, everything else that we see here on the periphery uh, might be more one-off incidents uh, that potentially, but not necessarily, uh, were enabled by environmental factors surrounding the incident that might respond to place-based interventions. So uh, taking all of these data points together, uh, the shooting totals and incident type, type analysis, uh, the geographic analysis, the social network analysis, all of these lines of inquiry tell us that we need to produce a mix of programs 
to address shootings in Berkeley uh, that take on the problem from both a place-based perspective as well as with a highly focused individual lens. And uh, for more on how we need to do that, I'll give the floor to Michelle. Thank you, Arlo. Um, again, my name is Michelle, and as part of my master's thesis, I did research that resulted in several recommendations based on thorough background research. So I looked at various approaches um, across the country and matched approaches for similar scale gun violence with Berkeley's needs and particularities. Scholars Braga and Cook identified that gun violence causes can be nuanced and that it's a multifaceted problem requiring a multifaceted response. The programs that we are recommending do not duplicate other efforts and offer avenues to strengthen relationships we already have in place to together work as forced multipliers for what exists already. So approaching the problem with a multifaceted response begs the question, what actions go together? And the question of how much police and non-police are involved in the response. Well, what we are planning is a continuum of solution of actions like problem solving in areas that are experiencing an increase in shootings, also known as POP that require police involvement, all the way to social services on the other side of the scale, which requires no involvement from police. On the slides continuum from left to right, you will see the role of police lesson as we move to the end. We believe that these four programs can be achieved within the allocated budget, but in the case that we must prioritize program components, which may well be a reality. My assessment is that the minimum viable product or the first two we should implement is problem solving at higher frequency shooting areas and street outreach, also known as violence interruption, given the million dollar allocation to this project. All right. Now, in the place-based or problem-oriented approach to shooting locations with high frequency, the SARA method, scan, analyze, response, assess is the key. Here, the idea is that we want officers to visit these areas experiencing an increase in shootings and record what they observe as well as collect information through community contacts and representatives about crime problems or factors that facilitate negative community outcomes. This often requires interventions that require interdepartmental collaborations, for instance, like the creation of green space. Lastly, we need to develop a testing method where there should be a pre-intervention and post-intervention change in shootings over time, say before green space in lot and after green space in lot. So for example, in one city, this strategy was implemented and they noticed uh, by visiting a location that there was a narrow alleyway that often had shots fired. Officers observed this pattern and analyzed the alleyway and working with other city departments, each end of the alleyway was blocked off 
and it was no longer a possible passage. This resulted in far fewer shots fired at this location and a drop in overall gun violence. And we know that shots fired are by far Berkeley's largest share of gun violence. And so these types of interventions can be very impactful. Um, we can see from this example that place very much does matter. So moving to custom notifications, we start to see a lesser but still important role for police. After a shooting occurs and the situation is analyzed in terms of place and individuals involved, both law enforcement and non-law enforcement support will deliver a message to involved individuals. The hard message comes from the police delivering a letter signed by the chief outlining possible consequences specific to their situation if they get caught in the future for a variety of offenses. The soft message that accompanies that comes from a CBO or a family member uh, letting the individual know that they are cared about, that they can access help, and that social services are available to them if it will help in any way. So for example, if in scanning social media regarding an incident, police find a threat by one community member to another, that is a good opportunity to do a custom notification, particularly if the person has a criminal history. In this case, the DA informs police of various criminal actions, like discharging or possessing a weapon, that would result in penalties for their particular situation. This is highly individualized. Then that letter is written outlining these consequences and is signed by the chief. Police, hopefully known to the individual and a local CBO, show up to their door and deliver both messages. And it is in the same interaction in which both of these happen. So think of it like a forum. So again, moving down that continuum, um, I want to acknowledge that we often hear communities keep communities safe. And that is true. So we want to stay on that message. And when there are positive influences in the community, we want to uplift that as much as possible. So in street outreach, violence interrupters diffuse conflict, prevent retaliation, and reach out positively one-on-one -on -one with individuals. They systematically talk to neighbors in the community, um, and it helps, and it helps enormously if they are from the community. That can't be emphasized enough. And they can even organize workshops and peaceful demonstrations. The key here is a unidirectional flow of information from the police about recent shootings and concerns to outreach workers. And it's important that information not flow the other way. A key feature of this program is that these workers maintain community credibility, but they should be involved in shooting reviews with the police so they know who to reach out to but that they don't come with criminal involvement or consequences. 
So for example, after a shooting review in which police informed street outreach workers of a fight between two local individuals, street outreach may be able to contact the families and discourage retaliation for the incident. It is likely that they are familiar with the neighborhood um, and that the individuals are familiar with street outreach if the program does have enough longevity. Discouraging retaliation is a great opportunity to showcase the power of street outreach. So at the very end of the continuum, but by no means um, the least important, we end up at social services, an intervention that is completely free of law, law enforcement. Many individuals in the community do have caseworkers and case managers that help connect them with services. But streamlining this process by having a few CBOs try to take the lead may help individuals connect with much needed services. As said, outreach workers can be part of this connecting. For example, if an individual has been previously involved in crime and has been connected with a case manager, many different impactful services can be provided. Say there is someone who struggles to stay housed and this financial necessity is a motivating factor for their involvement in gun violence. It is possible that help filling out necessary subsidy forms or help finding employment may reduce their likelihood of further criminal involvement. That is all I have for you and I will hand it back to Carrie. Thank you, Michelle and Arlo. Something that I wanted to add and highlight is that the key objective with the gun violence prevention program is to achieve a 10% yearly reduction in shootings. To maximize the likelihood of reaching this goal, city staff is committed to thorough due diligence throughout the development process leading up to implementation. In the following slides, we'll detail our proposed next steps, which emphasize a robust and collaborative approach. So following this presentation and in light of the feedback staff will receive from city council, which will inform our next steps, the implementation team plans to deepen stakeholder engagement and research efforts. The focus will be on refining the implementation framework, which involves a better understanding of the scope, scale, timelines, and budget. This crucial step will guide the team in the request for proposals or RFP process. As mentioned earlier, the team aims to incorporate recommendations from Michelle's report and Council Member Taplin's ad hoc advisory group in a manner that maximizes existing city resources and avoids duplicative efforts. This could involve identifying any current programs or resources or enhancing existing ones. Drawing on insights from the gun violence prevention analysis and report, and considering the programs recommended for implementation, the City of Berkeley is looking at the possibility of collaborating with multiple community-based organizations. We are committed to maintaining a dialogue with field experts and the community throughout this process, ensuring that their perspectives and knowledge shape our approach. Looking ahead, City staff are preparing to provide updates and share further developments in spring 2024 and we aim to keep you informed about our progress and the evolving nature of this important work. 
Thank you once again to the city council, staff, and the community for your attention and engagement this evening. We're looking forward to your comments and will be available to answer any questions. I would like to hand it over to city manager D. Williams Ridley, who will be providing some closing remarks. Thank you, Carrie, and thank you to the entire presenting team. Um, your presentation has been very stellar this evening. Um, I'd like to close by just expressing a profound gratitude to all of the departments, the teams, and individuals who have played a pivotal role in this initiative to reimagine public safety in Berkeley. The collective effort, the dedication, and innovation thinking have been crucial in just guiding this significant transformation. It's a reflection of our community's commitment to inclusivity, equity, and safety, the collaboration and the synergy among various departments alongside valuable insight from our community stakeholders. It's been exemplary. It demonstrates the city's dedication to not only addressing immediate safety and equity concerns, but also laying the groundwork for a long-term sustainable change. Despite all of the challenges that we've talked about and the complexities that accompany such a comprehensive undertaking, the team's resilience and their unwavering commitment, my commitment, it's been inspiring to watch them. The progress that the city has made thus far is a testament to what we can achieve when we really work towards a shared vision. So thank you to this council, to the mayor for your leadership, to all of you for the endurance and putting forth the smart efforts and and just not settling for less than what Berkeley deserves. So thank you for your excellence in public service. And to my team, I just thank you all profoundly. I, I can't say enough about the amazing work that you've done. Your contributions are not only shaping a safer Berkeley, but you're also serving as a model for other communities to follow. So we're here to listen and receive any comments and feedback from council at this time. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, I'm going to now turn the floor over to Councillor Taplin. Um, thank you so much, and thank you, Madam City Manager. Um, I'll just uh, tell a quick little uh, joke before I begin. Um, you know, I was at League of Cities last year, and I was with um, Deputy City Manager uh, Latanya Bella. We were watching all the awards that the cities get, and everything was like, "Oh, we were. Oh, we did that. We did that." And I think this is going to be one of those moments, um, and I, I hope that we actually get an award from from every week of every city for this stuff it's really an amazing amazing journey they were on um and thanks to, to kari and michelle and arlo and I, I super appreciate the focus on the social interconnectivity and the kind of network transference of trauma around um these incidents of gun violence um and i also appreciate um the strong focus on metrics and deliverables um just you know when we were in my office and we were putting this together we reached out to our neighboring cities i spent a long time on the phone with Mayor Schaff, and we met with um, the field experts in, in Mayor Breed's office, and we reached out to the folks running the, the Richmond program, and, program, and we really um, cleaved closely to the guidance of David Muhammad and, and the task force. Um, and, you know, we did the initial referral um, for 1 million, but if there's a need for additional allocation, I'm happy to submit something to the, the Budget and Finance Committee um, for consideration as we move closer to the, you know, the operational um emergence of this initiative um and i also want to thank the mayor for relaunching the east bay public safety corridor um i look forward to, to working with you to combat this crisis from a regional level um i submitted a sup for this um 
recommending that we um, refer alternative three. That's the problem-oriented policing along gun violence corridors, the street outreach workers, the SNA social network analysis, focus deterrence and social services. Um, and I move that we do that and adopt that. Second. I, I just want to take this opportunity to thank Councillor Taplin. Um, uh, first, um, uh, you know, when, as a longtime resident of West Berkeley, you've seen firsthand the impact of gun violence in your community, including in your, your neighborhood. And you've really stepped up and really made addressing public safety a, and, and not just addressing crime, but really thinking big, big picture about public safety, a top priority. And, um, and I just want to acknowledge that, you know, he independently convened a working group of subject matter experts, community members, faith leaders to look at different violence prevention models and, and to come up with some ideas around what is the best approach for Berkeley. And so, um, you know, I, I fully support uh, the work that he's done and this very thoughtful recommendation he's brought to us. And I just want to acknowledge his tremendous leadership on this issue, uh, which is so important, not just to his constituents in District 2, but throughout the city of Berkeley. And we have a motion on the floor, which is to provide direction as, as Councilor Taplin has recommended. I'd like to ask, Councilor Wengraff, I think, is no longer on the call. Um, just want to double check that. Uh, yes. So it's just us. So, colleagues, um, any questions or comments? Councilor Bartlett? Oh, yes, thank you. Um, uh, Councilor, Councilor Taplin, I want to thank you as well and congratulate you on your work here. You know, you have uh, really responded to the crisis in your district and you've shown leadership every step of the way, uh, helping reorient this council um, towards addressing this, uh, these, severe, these severe issues. And I was happy to serve as the chair of the public safety um, committee uh, to shepherd through many of your, your policies as they, as they advanced uh, to become quite effective. And so, and here, in, in this, this measure here that, we, that you are addressing, uh, the crime gun data is so important and you make good use of it. Uh, and the, the report mentions language you've mentioned before, uh, years ago when you first joined us, uh, how it's important to remember as we uh, recontextualize public safety and in the civil rights um, framework, it's important to remember that uh, black people are the victims of crime and that this violence is itself um, an affront to civil rights and that everyone deserves to be safe. So uh, really helpful that you are here and your work uh, is being held up and I support 100 percent. Thank you, Council Member Harrison. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I had comments on the original report. I thought that the focus on hotspots was not helpful. And what this has done is refocus this in a way of scanning to see where the influences are coming from, creating the gun violence, and then also following up on it. I did have a question for the staff team, and that is um, in terms of the prioritization of these four approaches, which the place-based, custom notifications, street outreach, and social services. And I, I don't think I heard why you concluded, what criteria you used to conclude that the place-based and the street outreach were the most important. I mean, why not put like all the money in street outreach? I'm just trying to get a sense of why you chose those two of the four approaches. Is 
So Carrie, I don't know if you want to take that question or if you want to hand it off to. I would like to have uh, Michelle and Arlo talk a little bit more about this. Thank sure. you. Sure. Th thanks, Gary. Um, the 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 idea behind the range of programs is to address those different ranges, there those different drivers of uh, the gun violence that we're seeing. So, if we just took um, an approach that intervened uh, geographically um, around those corridors, we'd be missing a an important driver of violence um, that we see both in terms of, uh, in terms of the social interactions, and then we'd also be missing uh, those portion of of shootings that aren't necessarily following one of those direct patterns. So these, uh, like, like Michelle started off saying, these, this multifaceted approach allows us to touch on the uh, the varied drivers of, of the violence that we're seeing. Yeah, um, perhaps I'm confused. There were four different approaches. And what I thought I heard Michelle say is that you believe the first allotment of money should focus on two of them. And I'm curious, for example, why we're not interested in spending any of the money on social services, which is the fourth approach. I can hear that. that. Maybe I misunderstood, Michelle. Sorry. No. Um, so one of the, of course, hopes is that we move away from unnecessary police intervention. And that's social services has the most to offer um, in that vein. And I, I mm -hmm. definitely hear you. Um, what we know from other cities, uh, use or piloting of street outreach is that these individuals that are deeply involved in their community and know the community members they are working with, they can connect people to social services. It's indirect, but we know that it's extremely effective because of the trust that they hold in the community. And that's why maintaining their credibility in that community is so important. So people will reach out to them so they can be connected with social services. So while indirect, if we are constrained by money, I think that would be a, a really positive choice as we look to expand the program further. Yeah, that, that's very helpful. We do already um, spend quite a lot on policing, so I'm wondering, I'll just be more pointed. We have the place-based police-oriented response for which we're going to spend part of this million dollars, which was set aside specifically for ceasefire. We already have a police department. Why aren't we spending it on the street outreach and social services? I just need to be more direct to my question, I think. Sure, and, and I can offer some clarification there because uh, you're right, we, we have a police department and we're already uh, doing a lot of this problem-oriented uh, work. And so this is not something that that portion of the program that we're recommending is not something that we will be spending additional money on Okay, on this money. Uh, it's something that BPD already emphasizes throughout the department and the Community Services Bureau, especially, um, has spearheaded a number of, of prop projects. So our proposal for this program uh, is to in integrate those efforts with the broader gun violence prevention uh, program and stakeholders identified here. So uh, to that end, we're exploring avenues within our tight staffing environment to allocate additional officer resources towards pot projects, uh, especially geared towards gun violence prevention, but without spending additional money. And will we be getting, say, a budget for the million dollars? Or we? I'm trying to understand the import of what we're doing right now. Is this the last time we're going to hear about this? Or what, what's, what is the next step bureaucratically for us? 
I can chime in more about that. So, you know, contingent on the feedback that we're receiving from city council today, like let's say, you know, hypothetically speaking, you know, we might have recommendation to consider gun buyback programs. I know that that was something that folks were interested in, or even thinking about in Michelle's report, this idea of um, not wanting to necessarily exhaust duplicative efforts. So for example, you know, we utilize shared resources such as Youth Alive um, that exists at Highland Hospital. So we wouldn't necessarily need to implement something um, here in Berkeley because we're already tapping into existing resources. So in terms of next steps in that slide that I outlined, um, the idea is to put together a team of stakeholders and experts to support with the RFP design process. My initial sense is that for the RFP, we're probably going to want to uh, partner and open bids for CBOs for the middle two okay. uh, programs. So that would be um, custom notifications and street outreach. But we might potentially need to set aside funds for the social services component in case we need to um, hire uh, gun violence prevention specific case managers for that. But we're trying to, you know, preliminarily look at our budget more comprehensively to see where we can channel our funds, where they're needed most, and where we can tap into resources that already exist within our departmental funding. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. And I appreciate you following on this work that was done in Virginia on scanning analysis, response and assessment. I think it's a really important model and I really appreciate Councilmember Chaplin bringing this forward. And I'm very glad we have removed the word hotspot and replaced it with um, orientation towards where there are shootings, because I think hotspot has a very bad sort of reputation from the past. So we're in really good shape here. And thank you all. Do you want to? Councillor Taplin, just oh, add something. Right. Okay. All right, uh, Councillor Hahn. Excuse me. I I wanted to also thank Councilmember Taplin um, for very thoughtfully and systematically trying to put all the pieces in place so that we can really have a comprehensive um, approach. Ultimately, um, it, it takes a lot of different modalities to create a the the environment it's not just programs but the environment for uh reducing gun violence so um i'm very supportive of your recommendations i'm very appreciative of the thoughtful and sort of data-driven um closely analytical work that's being done and um i really like the emphasis on personal connections and on trusted relationships I am a communitarian. I really believe that all, all that is good and all that heals and all that cares for people in the world comes from community. And in a sense, um, you are looking at um, ensuring that within the community, there are essentially these informed, trusted connectors who can provide information and as well as, well as identify um, circumstances that may be contributing to crime. And it's like an intentional, uh, adding in an intentional way, an important ingredient in a community that is experiencing a lot of violence and, and victimhood. So um, it really resonates with my values. So thank you very much. And I look forward to voting yes on this. Any other questions or comments? Okay, we have a motion on the floor. We took public comment previously um, to approve the uh, recommendation 
as presented by T Councilor Taplin. Let's call the roll. Councilmember Kesserwani is absent. Councilmember Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. Hahn. Yes. Wengraff is absent. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Aragine. Yes. Okay. Okay. That completes this item. We 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 provided the requested direction. Um, thank everyone for the excellent work and presentation. Um, with that, um, I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. Um, and given that Councilmember Wingrove is not present, we can take a voice vote. Is there any objection to the motion to adjourn? Hearing no objection, the motion carries unanimously. Thank you.